Hi, I'm Graham McNeil, I'm the author of False Gods, and this is After Eleanor. Foxcaster Online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. Loken forced himself to look at the book, feeling his heart grow heavy with each word he read from its yellowed pages. I am Horus, forged of the oldest gods. I am he who gave way to chaos. I am that great destroyer of all. I am he who did what seemed good to him and set doom in the palace of my will. Mine is the fate of those who move along the serpentine path. I'm no student of poetry, snapped Loken. What does it mean? It's a prophecy said Sinderman hesitantly. It speaks of a time when the world returns to its original chaos, and the hidden aspects of the supreme gods become the new serpent. I don't have time for metaphors, Carol, warned Loken. At its most basic level, said Sinderman, it speaks about the death of the universe. And that was an excerpt from False Gods by Graham McNeil, published by Black Library, book two of the Horus Heresy, and welcome to... After Eleanor. Hi, Greg. Hi, David. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I took up a lot of time in the intro because I read a bigger passage, but I think that one part really sort of sums up the whole... Yeah, I forgot that bit was in there um, until rereading it, actually. Yeah. As I went through it, I was kind of reading, looking for... Because each time we... You know, two. So we've traded off with the opening passage you're going to get to pick next time pick one from the book um but i thought that just really (laughs) i'm like wow that sums it up there's a lot in that uh, it encompasses a lot of the book that's uh i mean that's like a seriously that's like a scene out of a movie that's where the music goes and it zooms in on their faces if it's (laughs) you know if it's like overdoing it we're about to go but first we should uh thank our sponsor absolutely Og Games, oggames.co.uk. Uh, Og Games is the place to get all your games workshop at 15% off. Um, they order from GW every Tuesday, so if you get your order in before that Tuesday, it's in with them at the end of the week. They do, I say, GW at good prices. They do a plethora of board games, all the all the classics as well as the latest hot thing, you know. Go and look on there. They're really good line of... Um, magnets for all you 40k guys who want to swap your arms and your dreadnoughts or um they also do magic the gathering at really low prices as well i just spoke to all this week actually about he's got a section um on his website for books which is something he's looking to grow so if you need that next horace heresy book and you're this side of the pond jump on there and get you can obviously it's only the paperbacks but um he's doing other books as well he's recommended the uh, art, there's an Arkham series by Gray McNeil, ties in nicely, um, from Fantasy Flight Games. <laughs> That's up on his site already. Um, and I'm sure if you talk to him, you can order. I'm going to recommend one myself um, from the fantasy side of Black Library Swords of the Emperor by Chris Wright. Chris Wright's a top quality writer. 
So I'm going to recommend that one, and uh, I might get him to try and star them up or something. So if you're <laughs> after books, magnets, cheap GW stuff, board games, and anything else, go look at Odd Games. Well, that's excellent. Um, so, uh, start of episode two, and uh, we did get some listener feedback, didn't we, Greg? We did, which was really, really good, because wasn't too sure what we were going to get, to be honest. But um, we got emails and and uh, bits on the forum and some tweets as well. Um, but we just want to jump into a few bits that, you know, thank you to all those guys who sent the really good feedback saying, yeah, yeah. on the forum there's a load of it. And I know I, for one, got really encouraged by it. We've even gotten a few iTunes reviews. Thank you very much um, to the people who sent them in. I don't have it up in front of me because I'm an idiot. Otherwise, I'd be able to thank you personally. But... Um, already getting some positive iTunes reviews is pretty cool. So yeah, that's um, it, it helps us as well as helping other people. Other people see good reviews and, and whatever, and they'll they'll jump on it. And we'll jump straight in with uh, we actually got a really nice email from Tim Bochnecht. I'm going to say that all wrong. I'm going to let you uh, take it. I'm going to let you struggle with it because I got no idea. That'll do. That's what he's called. We now, don't anyway. need to both mangle his name. <laughs> It Unless could be you just got it dead on, because I wouldn't pronounce it the same as you, because I figure we need to double our chances of getting it right. There's going to be a silent letter in there somewhere, and I'm not too sure which one of the ones it is. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. Pronounce them all. <laughs> give it a little but, extra. <laughs> but he was brilliant. He sent a really nice, long, detailed um, email, actually, um, sharing some thoughts on um, Loken's rise to his position in the Mournival in the last book. I don't know if you got this as well. Did you, David? Yeah, I saw it. I, uh, I actually, yeah. I, I read it too. Yeah, it was really, really well worded. Essentially, um, it's putting out the theory that when Loken's in the throne room uh, on sixty-three nineteen, uh, and he realizes he isn't talking to the emperor, he he works out something's wrong, and there's a deception involved. And if there's a deception involved, there's probably a reason for it. So he acts decisively to step in and try and yeah. sort out that situation. And I never thought about that. There's something here, the War Master's coming, that maybe subconsciously he's actually protecting the War Master. There's something here that's not right. Yeah, I'm not letting him walk into it. The false, false Emperor wanted the War Master there, and nothing's, something's not quite right. So he, he steps in and forces the hand of the Emperor on the planet, which means that Horus isn't subjected to any kind of attack, which potentially could have damaged him. Yeah. So, uh, and he's the only one who sees that. So Horace arrives, and you know the devastations occurred, and he knows what's gone on. He's already got his eye on Loken. And yeah, and he's he already a captain, and he's. I mean, you watch how he moves through. He beat, he beat Abaddon to the. Uh, to, yeah, he beat, he beat him in the race to the to the spire. So yeah, yeah, I thought that was really good. Actually, that was. Um, it makes sense, certainly. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and I hadn't thought about it before uh, at all uh, like that, and uh, so it was nice to get a different opinion. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, excuse me, sorry. Um, so yeah, that was that was brilliant. And if you if you've got anything like that and you want to feedback, you know, say Tim sent us a really great email. If you want to send us just a little bit of information, that's fine. Um, on the forum side of it, uh, username Grok. Uh, wanted to point out we we right at the end of the book probably due to being a bit tired we neglected to mention that the lunar wolves changed their name to the sons of Horus. Did we miss that? Um, well, he seems to think so. So yes, 
But, um, I haven't gone back and listened. He said it, and I just took his word for it. But it seems like a big thing. I mean, yeah. considering how much notes we took, I apologize if we missed that. Cause... Or, or, the, or maybe that we didn't go into it is the reasons why. Okay. Um, which I thought, yeah, we, we could just have a quick little chat here. I mean, sure. To me, to me, it was a little bit explained through the book already that they said that you know it was to enforce his place as war master. And yeah. To, to show all the other legions that. You know, Horace has got this position. Um, you should be looking up to him. Things have changed. They're not the same as they were. He's under a lot of pressure. And I didn't, as I read the second book, I start to realize it even more. Uh, how yeah, much he, this, how much this, I mean, it, two or three, it, at least twice, possibly three times in the book, someone hears him say, like, you know, Father, I can't do this. Yeah. And, the, and at the point after the Interex attack, um, he, his mindset's changed a little bit there anyway, as well. So well, it's kind of he's he snapped to a, a slightly different viewpoint of actually no. Well, if you no, if you, you know. think of it as adolescence, he he, yeah. takes, he takes this step away from exactly what his dad's doing. He decides to interpret. I think this. Is, I, I know we have a straight policy, but I think Dad would want to. At least give him a chance. Now, everyone else is telling him, no, he wouldn't. He's trying something on his own, and it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. And he snaps back to, you know what? You know, he says, I can't do this. I can't do I it do. this way. And, I'm, and he goes, and that's when he's like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to do it exactly like told. you told me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And pretty it's, good. And it's a bit of psychologically damaging to him. And I think that's part of what makes him a little vulnerable. I he's mean, a real re- regression into. Yeah, he I was mean, trying to step out, and it's pulled him back into where he was, kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, Sanguinius makes him tell the Mornival, which is you know your nice little plot device, so that we can hear the story about how he can't make any mistakes, and he's already made two. And I mean, putting that out there like that, I mean, you can see how much. And Sanguinius already knew, so you know he's been talking about it for a while, and. Um, I mean, he had this. He, he, I mean, he couldn't possibly live up to his, to what's been, you know, what he's been given, and at least that's how he's starting to feel. Yeah. And so he changes the name, and that's like the first step. And no, I'm gonna, you know, go. I don't know. I just, I, I, mean, I could be wrong. I could have it wrong. This is, yeah. It feels like he's, you know, he's putting a definitive kind of line there, and moving on. But, but I mean, there's there's lots that could be read into it. I think. Um, you know, and someone will come up with different reasons from us, I'm sure. So, yeah. But I think we've 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 done a little bit of that, so that's good. Absolutely. Um, uh, do we have anything else we wanted to hit? We we just we have one more. Finally, um, Iclos on the forums was talking about that the the first book was very bitty. It was very kind of short series of events that occurred and were cleared up and moved on and left. Um, I guess I didn't he, get it that way. I didn't see no, it that way. I didn't personally. I, I can sort of see why looking back. I think potentially, I don't know whether this is the case of this person exactly, but if you look at it as a single book, I think potentially yes. Well, yeah, but, because there's a lot of characters who need to be introduced and you need to know where they are and where they're from. So when they show up in the fourth reel of the film... Yeah, and it's not not just that. I mean... 
6319 was, you know, a third of the book and stopped. Uh, murder was, a th- you know, less than a third of the book and stopped. Um, but these are all, they're, they're more like chapters of the trilogy because it is a trilogy. So that's the way I look. They're extended chapters as opposed to sections of a book, as it were. Right, um, okay. That's how I feel anyway. Um, so things are set up, put in place. Because um, the other point was he said that some things are just left open. Again, because it's a trilogy. Right. There are there are. If you treat it as stuff one, if, is left open here and is not addressed for six or seven books too. Absolutely, this this series is going to you know it, it goes I mean, on for a long time. Madness so this part in this book. Reading it this time, I went, oh oh, that's what's going on. Okay, and after having already gotten up to um, what I'm on Outcast Dead, so I already read press. Uh, a thousand sons. A thousand sons. Yeah. So I knew what was going on. I know that when Russ is going there and he's like he's taking him back to Terra. I'm like, okay. I didn't think that's what he's going there for. But then later in the book, Horace is like, yeah. yeah, I called him and told him what's really going on. I think I got him angry enough, and I'm like, okay. And now it's like I get what these things mean because they are. I mean, you might know the story, and so you get this little scene, but then suddenly they they come in later and flesh things out. And so on the second reading, you, it's, it's like when you read any really long book series, Dresden Files, heck, even Harry Potter, they plant stuff in the first book or two yeah. that they just plant there and they, they make sure you see it and it looks like it's part of that book. And then six books later, that thing comes up. I mean, there are, yeah, there, particularly in the heresy, there are certain characters who don't ever really feature, but are ever present through, you know, most of the books. They pop out. Again and again and again, um, and yeah, so there are certain characters who who Rogel Dawn doesn't really have a major feature um, going on uh, for quite a few books. Um, I don't remember. He, I mean, he's got a he's got a scene or two in book four. He has he has a lot of individual scenes and in some of the audio and right. things like that. He appears in you know <laughs> he's possibly. Um, Behind Horace and maybe one or two others, he's probably one of the most appeared Primarchs in terms of how many um, really? books. I guess I don't even things. notice it because he's never he's, he's been in. Yeah, and I'm talking about the audio as well and some of the other books, but he he's not the main character at any of these points. So there's a lot of that going on as well. So just just the way they're telling the stories, but I, I think caught, it generally works. I caught myself. Um when Her- when Horace is in by the tanks, and he's looking at eleven, and I caught myself going, "Oh yes," I caught myself going, "Yeah, uh, man, I wish they'd write stories about them." And I know they're not <laughs> going to. And you, you know, everybody always says, "Why don't you do it?" And I was like, "Ah, who cares? We've got all this other story to go to. Why do we need that?" And every time they just pop there, and it's just like they just they dangle it in front of your nose. It's just like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's uh... um. I mean, why don't we uh, wrap this part up and then we'll yep. take a quick break. And just come before back. we do yeah. that, just one quick word on the forums for people. Sure, sure. Um, I know I've said in previous things that we want to keep the forum episodes, um, topic episodes, to that episode. Right. Um, it's not just for um, someone reading something they don't want to. If someone posts something about book three in the book two things that means someone reading down there's got to skip that post if someone then replies to that 
then they've got to skip that post. Uh, and you get this kind of weird thing and it's a bit hard to follow the flow of a, of, uh, of a topic. We had someone post in the forum and it was good stuff. But I think if you want to talk to us about book three, send us an email. If you've, if you've got something you want to say about it, you know, the email's probably a better form of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's not, agree. I mean, and if, if, I yeah, if, I, I'm if not you trying were the to get person that, who wrote it, we're not trying to jump on you. We're no, just, absolutely. Um, we're, yeah, we I just want to, we just want to remind people, guys, no, nothing about the other books. Keep each book in its own show thread. And yeah, if you want to email us for books ahead, I haven't read them all. Greg has, but I'll still read it. You just put the what book you want to talk about in the subject uh, heading, and we're good. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just that you know, I don't want to stop people talking about these things, but I'm just. Um, I've got, I, I say I've got friends who are reading this now, who are who jumping back, and we've had we've had people email us and tweet us and say, you know, they've just started on the heresy because of the podcast. So, yeah, keep yes. it going. It's good chat though, <laughs> so keep it going. Yeah. All right. So, uh, folks, with that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments, uh, starting with uh, False Gods. Back, and it's time Hello. for false gods. Hooray! So here's another one. I I gotta. <laughs> I may have to put my actual reading of the Horus Heresy on a break until I can. Uh, I got. I think I gotta read uh, Galaxy and Flames now. Like as soon, <laughs> like right after we're done with the show, I'm gonna pick up Galaxy and Flames and start because I was finishing up the last of the book today. So like was I. in the beginning of the show, finishing up the book. <laughs> Uh, right before we started recording, after we got in on Skype. So, um, but on second reading, well, it's not your second reading. What did you think of it? You always liked this book. I, <laughs> there's only one book I'm not particularly fond of in the whole series. Um, Which one, may I ask? Um, Battle, Battle for the Abyss. Oh, okay. It's not, pers- it's not a personal favorite of mine. Um Yes, I like this book. Uh, I've always had one issue with this book, which is the major issue that everyone seems to have with this book, which is the actual uh, fall of Horus. Yeah. Appears to be rather sudden um, and not really follow the processes that logically would... Yeah. It's hard to lay that all out in a time mm. limit. Yeah, uh, and I've I've had that problem since I mean you know, I read it again. I read this book five years ago, whenever, and that was a problem. And it's always been a problem for everyone. Whenever you see this book talked about online, um, I had an issue Anakin with it. It didn't, it didn't stop me syndrome. from. Sorry, I said he suffers from Anakin Skywalker syndrome. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> without the no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's just the I, whole. Absolutely, I do. Whole, I'm a hero of the galaxy. Hey, you know what? Evil's better. Really? All right, I'm there. That's I mean, that's Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, I mean that's literally how it happens in the movie. It's, yeah, that, yeah. it's that fast, and it's it's it, it, it kind of happens here a bit. 
and it, it seems to go against the logic of the arguments as well. It all seems to be a bit wrong. Yeah, and I However, was really looking at that a lot. Yes, and I was kind of looking at it. However, as we look through the whole book, and I think it's, I think it's from, you know, page whatever it is, twenty twenty four. I think you see there is already um, n- not everything's right with Horus and the Legion and all the reflections of that. This is something that starts at the beginning of the book. The turning of Horus isn't that one little section that we kind of look at as when he turns. It's going on through the whole book. Um, it, was, saying, it was going on in the last it, book, actually. It, it, absolutely, in the last book as well. Um, you know, high, heightened possibly in this in this book a little bit. I was saying to you before we started recording, um, I think it's possibly a bit too subtle. Um, well, I, I, it, it, it can easily be glossed over as... Well, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the part of the problem is there's really no hints as to what's going on, and we're starting a series fresh, so they're not. There, you know, there's just a lot being left blank. Which, I mean, if you fill in all the details, this book is twice as long. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, and you don't even fill them all in. You can fill in just enough to 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 leave you stuff for later, but to make sure we all see it and it's not too sh- too quick. But it's. It's so long, and it, and it does still leave them the opportunity to do things like First Heretic, where you can take what we missed and make a whole book out of it, yeah, and really give it because the the complexity of the plans of the people who bring Horus down it's it's worthy at least of its of a, of a single of its own book. Yeah, it is. So yeah, you you wind up just chopping a lot, saying we'll tell it later. I think. Yeah. So that's. That's something that kind of reading it back was was aware that I was going to have that issue, and saw those things are coming possibly that little bit more than I did before. Um, the other thing I really liked about this book actually was McNeil. The timeline is you're always you're you're doing a lot of flashbacks. So there's that one little brief little section about you know. Um, Say Loken's sitting there talking, you know. Yeah. Oh, and oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'll I'll tell you about what happened on Davin, and then the next twenty pages, thirty pages, you get the story what, of Davin, the story of Davin, and that happens all the way through the book, which I actually think works really quite well in reintroducing all the characters quite smoothly. It, again, something I I forgot kind of how that worked first time, but I really enjoyed reading that actually. And you can actually, and he does really nice jobs of slipping in. I mean, when he's first talking to Mercedes Olin and he's like, you know, we shouldn't have been fighting this war, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you're like, wait, what? You know, and then, so now you've got that, they've, they've dropped that piece, and now the whole story comes out. And, but you've already gotten that he always will drop a, a bit from the end, the reason he's telling the story in yeah. the beginning. So you can kind of watch it build subtly. Kind of frames it, yeah. Uh-huh. So do we want to start from the start here? Why not? Part one, the betrayer. They do bring in a couple of new characters. Yeah. Petronella Vivar, who is uh, basically a very rich lady of a prominent house, and she's coming as a remembrancer, and she's using all of her pull that she thinks she has and, you know, her, her, her assumptions that she just deserves whatever she wants. 
Oh yeah, she's proper gentry, proper Eng- <laughs> proper proper English style, uh, old school, uh, um, you know, gentry. Exactly. My 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 forefathers, um, you know, wrote about the rise of the emperor. Therefore, this should be mine. Right, and so she goes there wanting to write about uh, Horace and be his personal remembrancer. Uh, you get her servant Magard. Yeah, he's quite cool. Uh, yeah, personal bodyguard, and also apparently concubine, which come, pops up at the end. I just yeah. that one quick line comes up there near the end. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, his vocal cords have been surgically removed by the family because he's not supposed to speak in the family's presence, but he's her personal bodyguard. He's got to be there all the time. Um, but she has a nice little plot device. She has a quill that if you picks up the thoughts of the people, so you can think it, and the quill will write it. Yeah. So she has it around, and she writes with it when she writes. But she also it's nice to have it around because she can pick up his thoughts when she needs to know something from him. She's um, she's quite an interesting character because as you read through the book, she is purely, almost purely there just to link a few things together and she's do ca- that. She's a bit of a plot device. She is a bit of a plot device without appearing too much as a plot device. It's um. By throwing her up there as a a character who makes their presence known in every scene. Yeah, I mean, she she talks to Horace at a couple of points, almost as if she thinks, you know, she's not quite as equal, but she's it's, above most of the other people there. It's bluster, but she's used to be she's used to being treated like he's treated, and yeah. it's uncomfortable for her. So there's a times when she ruffles her feathers a bit, and it's like, okay, lady. Um, I, that's that's the easiest way to make it not look like a plot device, though, is throw her up there in every scene and, and yeah. fill her out enough that she seems like a regular full character. Yeah. You know, hide in plain sight. Her bodyguard, though, is the really cool one. Oh, yes. Um, he's a nice little bit of plot device as well, but it's it's a little... He, his stuff comes in more subtly, so it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, I like that guy. And then uh, what else? Then we got the crew of the Dies Irae. Irae. I don't know. Irae? Dies Irae. Dies Irae. Irae. Whatever. Uh, yeah, the Day of <laughs> Wrath. Yeah. An Imperator class titan. I got no idea what that means. Okay. Um, you've got the... Right, I the mean, is it a really, main... really big... Is it one of the biggest titans? Or is Essentially, it a... yes. Um, Games Workshop made a game called Titan Legions. Right. Uh, a number of years ago. Um, and they had a, a Mega Gargant and an Imperator, or two Mega Gargants against one Imperator Titan was basically the whole game. Um, Gargants, come across, that's that giant orc yeah, thing, right? Yeah, the giant orc thing that's the toy you can buy is a Stomper, right. which is a mini version of a normal Gargant. Um, and then the great, the Mega Gargant is a bigger version of the Gargant. Okay. Um, the, the Imperator... This one, I don't think, has the crenellations. Basically, uh, an Imperator Titan has um, hundreds and thousands of troops living in each foot, um, and it can disgorge them in the middle of battle. Um, it has... That's what he's talking about, the crenellations at the tops of the leg joints and the knees. Yeah. It also... Um, I don't think the Diosaurus has it, but the, the other... Because of the height, it's only given at 35 metres or something like that. But the other ones have these massive... Um, like a city built on top of it almost... Um, with all that going on as well. We come across, there are, we do actually come across later in the series, you haven't got there yet, of a, another Imperator Titan so as well. So how big is this thing? Um, I think they give dimensions of about 35 metres up to the top. 
which seemed a bit small to me, but it's, which it's is why the, I mean, hundred it can't be hundreds of thousands of people living in it. No, it's not hundreds. No, hundreds or thousands. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, not, it's not hundreds, hundreds of thousands. thousands. I'm like, damn. But there's 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 a small army on board <laughs> each one. Um, yeah, on top of the fact that it's got um, layers and layers of shields and the plasma gun can annihilate cities <laughs> uh, is it's pretty much although although there is some talk of some new titans that i don't know about yet that they've dropped into the latest books it was the it was the biggest thing the, the imperium had by a mile it makes other titans look really small because when people describe I, I love reading the descriptions of people seeing titans like that are that are like on a planet they've been landed they're like completely still. They're not being used for war, and people are still just terrified of them. Like if this thing yes. even moves, yeah. And I'm just like, that's just kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, you get a couple of characters in there. Um, you got we, um, we see right because um, the crew's introduced right at the start, and we see the the Lectitio Divinitatis yeah. is already set up. You know, this is a, 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 a High level member of you know the the biggest machine the Imperium have. Their senior crew on an Imperator class Titan. One of them is a just, follower. Yeah, one of them is yeah. a normal guy, and one of them is, and it's you know it's that's another nice, it's another nice little you know couple of small characters to bring in, and you got the two yeah. polar opposites. You got the guy who's turned and the guy who hasn't, and it's it's a nice easy interplay off each other that you can bring in whenever you need one of these types of characters. Absolutely, and it also gives the the Titan sense of um, you can read about the Titan through their eyes for later on as well. Yeah, which is really good. Yeah, getting to know the crew of a Titan is pretty cool because it's a time. Yeah, they describe how they. <laughs> it's just insane. It's it's. It, it, I read it and I I get it and I picture it and it's just I it, I still don't think you can really fathom. I'm just I can't fathom just war machines this big especially when you look at some of the uh you know the 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 flagships of the different uh legions oh, that have yeah, a crew that, of that, three million and i'm like what that's the city of chicago it's um if you can ever find it on uh on on google somewhere they did size comparisons with the um 40k ships compared to like star trek star wars yeah i saw that that's what brought that to my attention it and just it dwarfs phenomenal. everything it is. It's it the, the scale of forty. Yeah, scale of forty k is immense. It's absolutely immense. It's mind-boggling that they, they they're just like just buy it. We built this stuff. We have the materials. Shut up and watch because we got a lot of it. We're yeah. like, okay, I, I'm I'm going. <laughs> I, I'm going with it. You know, they are serious. <laughs> you know, they drop these these titans and it's like every description is always the same. People are terrified of them even if they're not moving. <laughs> And when they slam, then slam and start shooting stuff, it's just frightening. That's one of the great parts of uh, when you get to read the first book that takes place on Mars, because they're yeah, just they're almost commonplace on Mars. Yeah. So when they get into big squad battles of Titans, you're like, "Oh, this is badass!" This, because <laughs> it is, it's really excellent. But that's neither here nor there. So, the, I mean, there's a couple of other things. Uh, McNeil also. Uh, this was a really good example to me of. Um, McNeil's writing in when the Titan when he's when we're following um, you know the Titan crew member up into the Titan we get all the background of the the Titan being readied but also ships being readied and you really got immersed into the feel of a embark uh, uh, of getting ready for war 
Yeah, the descriptor, all the servitors plugging them in. And that goes through, and even even before they even get in the Titan, you know, it almost gets run over by a, you know, a cart with ammunition on the back waiting to be loaded somewhere. Yeah. And, and that happens all the way through the book and reminded me why McNeil's one of my favourite writers, to be honest. Because yeah. of all those details that go into creating an image that really did visualise in my head really easily. Yep. And totally. again, we're, we're, we're only on page 24, and you know, you're talking about how can Horus fall and how can the Legion follow him so easily, which is the other question people ask. I'm sorry, I said it, I posted it on the forums after I read this. I think I finished book three, it's on the Garage Hammer forums, and we were talking about, you and I were talking about Horus Heresy. I'm yeah. like, I'd have, I'd have gone with him. I hate to say it, it's a horrible thing to say, I'd like to think I'm a better person than that. Yeah. But if you read this, how yeah, anybody the... says no to him... I mean, if there's a select few people who knew something was wrong and were able to stand against him. And you're talking a couple. I'm not yeah. that guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that guy. I know me. You know, I'd like I, to think I'm a good person, but I am not one of those people. I would have fallen. Really especially when you, when you look back right to the start of this book. So it's page 24. Um, we've got, uh, we've been over this before, my friend. Uh, Horace's authority comes to the Emperor. We forget that our, at our peril. That's as may be. But it's been many a dark and bloody day since we fought with the Emperor beside us, hasn't it? But hasn't Horace always been there for us on every battlefield? And that's page 24. They put the descent Wait, where are in we? Because I don't see that anywhere. I'm not on page... Uh, your page my numbers might be slightly different because of... Um, oh, that's right. I'm reading the hardback. Uh, it's Titus, um, Kassar and Jonah... All right, on the soft cover version, then you've been over this before at the very bottom of page twenty-two. Okay, but yeah, you've got this. Yeah, people already, you know, thinking more of Horus as yeah, their leader. You know, they're, they're not speaking badly of the emperor, but they're just saying, you know, well, he's not around anymore. Nobody wants um, him to be gone, but it's like it's one of those things where, well, he's gone now, and we got to yeah. keep going without it's, it. You know, Tommy moved away. He was my best friend, but now he's not here. You know. They kind of resent him a bit for it, but he's also, he's not there. Horace is. There's an easy surrogate. Absolutely. So that's right from the start of the book. There's, it's it's there. Plain to see kind of where where it could go. Yeah. Um, so then we get to Horace lands on Davin. And... Uh, in chapter one, the you know the ships get there, yeah, and then you, it starts on chapter two with Mercedes Oladin with Loken, and she wants to know what happened on Davin. So you got what you just said, and then Abaddon shows up and he tells Loken he's getting soft and he shouldn't be uh, talking with these Remembrancer people. There's a lot of tension going on there, uh, and I'm wondering yes. if that's is that completely post Davin, like post uh, you know Horus, you know coming back. You don't know how far back you are yet, but you know there's that there's a problem coming. And that's, again, once again, she asks a question, and you get this little hint at how the story's going to turn out. Yes. And so. Abaddon, again, he's hardened even more. The um, Zenobia, the, 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 what happened there has hardened him even more than he was before that all happened. Exactly. He won't take no rubbish from anyone. We go down onto Davin, um, and there's a load of little kind of snippets in here as well. You know, they, McNeil makes it clear that you know, Davin was won by the um, 
you know, the, the word bearers were here. They they brought this planet yeah. to to compliance, and, and they stayed behind and and made sure that it worked and everything was sorted. And which, if you don't know anything further in the story, you've got Erebus. But even later in the book, that that becomes more kind of all oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it so makes sense. Word bearers have been here for a long time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, and that slips through, and you start to see it. So even uh, if you don't know more, you know Erebus is there, and things just all start matching up with this place. And you know he's the one who asked him to come here. So every you know it's 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 all laid out. We know this is this is a bad place for him to be. Um, so they go down to Davin, and uh, the Luna Wolves are impressed by the courage of the people. Uh, Horace himself said that they could learn much from the people of Davin. Um, yeah, that was yeah in, in reference to when they actually fought them. Right. Yeah, they were yeah. actually they were impressed by the courage. These people had no chance, but they were brave and did yeah. what needed to be done. Uh, yeah, and word bearers had been there spreading spreading the truth of the empire. Um, so. Uh, Loken has uh, just is uneasy with this. He's been uneasy the whole time they've been on their way there. He doesn't like Davin. He doesn't understand where they're going back. Um, he's just not pleased. He's with on it edge. At all. Yeah, definitely on edge. Yeah, he's. <clears throat> excuse me. He's, he's not. He's not comfortable with what's going on already. Yeah. So he's already uncomfortable with. And then you get uh, this great scene. Uh, Malaghurst brings Horace some the, the the request from the from the from Petronella to come and see him, and he has a sort of bizarre conversation with Horace. Um, Horace is like sitting in the dark, and he's leaves. Like, oh, you don't want to be bothered with this. He's like, what? I can't. You know, uh, she just wants to be remembered, so you don't need that nonsense. And he snaps at him. What? I don't deserve to be remembered. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Hey, where's this coming from? And it's it's weird because he really snaps, and then boom, he snaps back, and it's gone. And at first, when I read this, I thought it was it was it didn't work. Like I was like, okay, he snaps really bad, and then he's just all back to normal Horace. And it seems sort of cheesy and and weird, and nobody seemed to notice it that much. But I'm supposing if you've got the sort of personality that these guys have. You know, I mean, you see it in other stories with supernatural creatures, yes, where they lose control for a second. You're like, whoa! But before you can even get scared, they snap back and like, oh, you know, and they're smoothing things over. And it's that kind of personality, that charisma that they have. So it's it's not as clunky as I remembered it being in the first. Uh, no, I, book. I didn't mind it at all. It, it, to me, it was just that little bit of um, Horace slipped and was like, what you know. Why don't I have to be? Why do I always have to be the guy that does all the work and doesn't get any of the recognition? Exactly. Um, I'm I'm under all this stress. I've got all these requests from coming from Terra and these people who don't appreciate what I'm doing. I'm going to ruin the Imperium that we're building. And no, damn it! Exactly. <laughs> I want my bit of glory. And then you know, as you start the third chapter, um, that does another little flashback. And it's a really it's a it's an interesting scene. We don't have to spend time on it though, because uh, I think people are starting to see the pattern here. Is Loken is going to Cinderman, who's not doing any more talking. He's just doing research. Loken is concerned about 
these all this demon stuff that he's reading and he's seeing and Cinderman's just like I can't explain it I really can't you know and he just they, he keeps trying to talk him back to no it's it's nonsense it's nonsense yeah he's he's still grasping for that that rational reason uh-huh and he's I mean he's looking worse and he's there but he just keeps denying it Logan's kind of reaching a brick wall with you know being able he's digging for information he knows something's wrong he just can't find anybody who can help him because Nobody, it, yeah. nobody, nobody has any idea about any of this stuff either. Um, and that's when they cut back to, you know, Horace comes out and wants to know why he's someone of the compliant, you know, this world. Yeah, and and he he's about to do his own theatrical bit in the in the in the the war council when Erebus interrupts him and just steals the show. Oh, and, and he was mad. And yeah, and Horace, and he just plays Horace, and you can read it in the writing at the time, and then it's reinforced with um, Loken talking to Ignace afterwards. But you can just read Erebus is just pressing the right button at the right time. Yeah. And uh, just going through it all. Not only just, did the Imperial Guard or Imperial Army person that he left in charge of this place, not only hasn't he kept it compliant, he's the traitor. And yeah. he said, "Screw your father and screw you too." I mean, every I mean, everything that would just because he actually doesn't even say, you know, he's like, "I don't, I don't have to follow Horus or the Emperor." Make sure to mention Horus by name. Um, you know, he he's not. Well, I don't see what's going on. He's on the moon. He went up there to pacify it because they were the people who were against you, and he joined them. Um, basically, everything he everything. He could do to upset Horus. Yeah. Um, Erebus has spent all this time with Horus beforehand and knows exactly the buttons. He knows to make it personal, um, to make it an affront not just to the Emperor, but to Horus's own um, vainglory. That, you know, he's, it's not just the Emperor, he's, he's rebelling against you. He's a um, priest, but he's got the skills of the, the greatest of politicians, and he understands yeah. people. He's the psychologist. And a psychiatrist, almost, in some of these things, as you, as you see more and more of him. Yeah, and he's playing on that. Um, Horace is already fit for, you know, he's already felt like he's made a number of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and he's playing on the fact that leaving Timber there was a mistake. And who, and who doesn't... I mean, I'm just thinking about it now. Um, the way Horace talks to people, it wouldn't surprise me if, after talking for quite a bit with... Erebus, that one of these other stories might come out if he's gotten that tight and close to him. I mean, Hor- you know, Horus talks to him, seems to be talking to him a lot. I mean, Loken actually mentions how he's been spending all his time with Erebus. Yeah. So if he trusts him, some of these little insights might have come out, and Erebus doesn't need to be hit over the head. He understands how to play people. Absolutely. And and to cap it all off, at the end of the, of the meeting, you know, he's seen slipping the, the lodge token between Abaddon and him, yeah, yeah, pass back, which just kind of Carcassi sees him flashing something. Carcassi's the one who sees it, sees it as he yeah. goes to shake hands with Erebus that he hands him some shiny something or other. Um, so when that, but, when that, when we get that scene of Loken finding out this information from Carcassi about what had gone on, and you know. Erebus is lying. I don't know what about, but he's lying, and it was a performance. And, and he wants he wants him to do this. I mean, because he gets Horus pissed enough that not only does Horus said we're sending a spear tip to the moon, 
Yeah. But was, he made it I'm up going personal, in there. the horse is like, I'm, I'm going sorting out. There. Yeah. And they're like, I'm sorting out my mistake. Not and even I'm sorting out my mistake. He's like, this guy. It's a combination of it all, I think. Yeah. I, I'm sorting out my mistake myself, and also this guy I rebelled this against guy. me. Yeah, he's become a smirch against the Imperium, against me personally. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I, yeah. and with Horace's backstory, you know, traitors will suffer the wrath and all that. It was always going to happen. Yeah. So you've got all that going on, and then Abaddon rushes in, um, kind of sees him talking with the remembrances, is like, you know, leave him, he's nothing. Um, and then, yeah, Ignace oh, asks right, him about the token. Already yelled at him about, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Can I ask you a question? No. Yeah. And he asks it anyway. First of all, he just told him no. You know, Abaddon thinks nothing of the people beneath him. Really nothing. Of, I mean, yeah, he thinks hum- nothing of, not just remembrancers, of, but of humans in general. You know, yeah. he's kind of got a disdain. He's one of these aloof. It isn't necessarily aloof, but he's just like, I, I have no time for that nonsense. I'm doing this. And um, when he asks the question anyway, after being told no, and they ask him, what was that you gave him? I mean, oh, that was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Logan was- quick jumps between him and screams at him to run. Just to get out of there, and it's Loken's trying to kind of you know the remembrance they're there to do a job that we you know we want to build this society and we need these people to feed back and blah 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 and Abaddon's just there going no I'm going to kill him <laughs> he can't talk to me like that yeah and it was like the bang the difference between Loken and Abaddon is just was there yeah boom. Yeah, but he has um, no problem with he doesn't he doesn't think anything of them. He has no compassion for them. This is yeah, as we're getting into chapter four. But then Loken starts pumping him for information about the lodge. Yes. Did you bring did you bring Erebus into the lodge now? Is that what you were doing? You were pa- which I mean it seemed like a weird time to pass him a coin. Yes. I mean did. it was a bit I I, I, I that's you know, th- that's one of those plot devices that didn't need to be that blatant. It could have been Anywhere, anytime, without a ton of people around, someone just had to see it. But um, maybe it's because humans are that much shorter that he was just no one else would be paying attention to that particular, you know. Mm. I don't know, but it just seemed like a weird place to give him the coin. But yeah, so he's pumping him for information. You find out that Erebus is the one that brought all of them into the lodge. Yeah, which kind of puts a different view. Now we know what Erebus is like. It puts a different skew on the lodges, more than even more than Logan had. Kind of these doubts about them, yeah, reinforces all of that. Yeah, and then Logan starts thinking about what Euphrates Keeler had said to him, and basically that Erebus is a liar. Um, yeah. and he actually asks Erebus about the warp. He goes and has goes to talk to him because he's upset, and he just can't believe what Erebus is. Is telling him he's like there's something not right about this, yeah. and um, which all doesn't help. You know, yeah, yeah, something's wrong in all that talk, and in in all of that talk, you know, Erebus let slip that a sword was stolen from the Hall of Devices on Zenobia. Yeah, um, and it was it was actually a normal part of the conversation, but it was one of yeah, those where he's like, out. you know, yeah, this is we've had a problem ever since they you know they said someone stole this sword from. From there, like you just said, and that's when he walks out and looks. It's like no one ever told us what type of weapon it was, and yet Loken still can't bring himself to be like, 
although he doesn't trust Erebus, he won't come out. Erebus is still a space marine. He won't. Yeah. Yeah. This Erebus, is my brother. He's got that own internal struggle as well. He's like something's not right, but. I can't go and accuse my brother. They're my brothers. Yeah. We don't turn on each other. And it's just that, that sense of honor that said he can't even fathom that it's this alien. would it's happen. It's completely alien. Yeah. And his inability to even fathom that it would happen winds up, um, you know, keeping him from going. I mean, the whole time you're like, God damn it, go tell somebody. You know, of course, we're sitting here with hindsight, you know, so we know what's going to happen. So we're, we're yelling, but uh, he just can't do it. Um and then Euphrates Keeler shows back up in the in the in the story, and uh, she was in a room. Remember hiding in book yeah. one after seeing the one guy turn into a demon, and uh, now she's a complete devotee to the Levitico or the uh, Leticia. Yeah, the Leticia Divinitatis. Uh, she's actually leaving passages of it on the desks and stuff like that uh you know she's passing it out to people wearing robes stuff like that yeah. it's, it's taken that step further it's becoming it's still underground but they they feel they can you know reach out with it a lot more right and then um what's her name becomes horace's personal remembrance this is where he starts giving her a little flack and teasing her and she actually was one of the places where she ruffles her feathers yes but he, and and that's what Horace wanted. He he was he was playing with her the whole time. And again, it shows right. shows the brilliance of Horace and why people would follow him into the you know the pits of hell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he had her he had her sized up and down within seconds, and and knew exactly what to. And he can he can figure out people as well as Erebus can. Yes, it's just he doesn't have a. Right, at, at least at this point, he doesn't have a bad intention with it, so there's no, no problem with it, you know? But you see his power. You see the power he's got, which is what's going to make it more mm. frightening later. Um, and then we get into Chapter 5, and they're preparing for war, and we're almost done with uh, Book 1, or Part 1 of this section. Um, he actually stops and has the Morn of All here, his Oath of Moment, and that was a great scene. Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> how everybody on the place stops and listens because Horace kneels down in front of the, the guys and will you do this and at first they're shocked and then they jump to it they're like yes and it was um again that, that oath of moment was it didn't say anything about the emperor in it it was all a personal oath of moment yes from Horace it was you know it was all you know Timber's done this against me I'm going to tear him down which we, we, yeah, we just reinforces. It was more reinforcement, but really subtle reinforcement of what's going on. Yeah, here it is. I've got it right in front of me. Um, Axeman nodded and said, "I'll hear the oath." We will witnesses said Abaddon, unsheathing his sword. Loken, raise the oath paper. Do you, Horus, accept your role in this? Will you take your vengeance to those who defy you and turn from the glory of all you have helped create? Do you swear that you shall leave none alive who stand against the future of humanity? And do you pledge to do honor to the uh, the 16th Legion? Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing in there about the Emperor. It's, it's what no, you, no, it, did say, it does say humanity, but it's about Horus and the 16th Legion. Who stand against the future of humanity. That has nothing to do with the Emperor. The future of humanity... Could be led by the, anyone. Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the future that yeah. Horus is carving out right now. He's the main guy doing the job. Yeah. 
and it's and it's taxing him to the limits of his abilities. And I think that's also a part of what comes into this later is he is he is the best among them, and he's being buried under this job. And being used to being the best all the time, this is he can't handle that he's having trouble with it. He can't handle that he's still having trouble with it. Mm-hmm. And um, you start to get to the point where it's like, you know how when someone has you working and doing something for them, sometimes you're doing someone a favor and then a favor turns into a chore and then a chore turns into a job for this person. Yeah. And you're like, I better get more than a damn Domino's pizza and a six pack out of this. You start to resent. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of where he's at. Uh, I think at this point where he's starting to, Dad left me to finish this up, and I am getting close to getting – I mean, we're getting stuff compliant. I'm getting the job done. I mean, for their lifespan, uh, you know, he, he he's starting yeah. to look forward to the reward, and he's starting to realize, well, you know, people are pointing out, what kind of reward can you actually have? And so it's it's starting to sort of get together here. And like you pointed out, that oath of moment, I didn't realize that had nothing about the emperor in it. Um, <laughs> and as they start flying in – they're launching, and now Horace tells his remembrancer that she can't come with. But uh, yep. and then here comes the, you know, what did you call them? What did you call her? A what? A proper what type of lady? Oh, gentry. Okay, She's yes. Like old, old, yeah, yeah, Downton Abbey kind of. Yeah. Lord, lady, lord, and kind of thing. She can't believe he would actually tell her no. <laughs> and so she's like, "Well, he gave me sort of a look when he was leaving, like, okay, I can't say it's okay, but." You go ahead, and I'll meet you down there. I, I'm certain Horace gave her no such look, but this is who she is. Absolutely. You don't and, stop her. And so she's going down there. Um, and all of a sudden, a speech starts coming in over the Vox channels. Yes. And it's similar to the I am Samus, Samus, whatever, from the first book. like that. And Loken is like, what the crap? He's like, yeah. he's up. This sets him going automatically. He's find that, stop it. And wouldn't you know, it's being broadcast from a very specific point that they can easily lock in on. Yeah. I'm right here, Horace. Absolutely. It's a, the voice is too similar to be accidental, was the, one of the quotes. Yeah. And yet, and then, and the Warmaster, Horace is there saying, yep, yeah, it's nothing. It's just propaganda. It's like, yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, we've heard that before. Exactly the same same arguments were coming back. Yeah, everything was happening. This time, Loken's not buying it. He's like, "Mm, yeah. Or even if it is, even if Horace has it right and it's just crap in the warp and he's wrong, he knows what's coming out of there next if this is what's going on. Yeah, what can happen? Don't pretend like it's nothing because I know it's not nothing. You can tell me it's not what I think it is, but don't tell me it's nothing. And uh, when they land, it is a rancid, smells of death and decay, rot. Um, yeah, the trees are held together by the rot. Yes. And <laughs> they actually say, what is with this place? And they say, listen, this is supposed to be just like Davin, hot and dry. Yeah. So the whole planet has turned into this fester. And, of course, everybody <laughs> knows it's, it, the planet's everybody knows- been nurgalized. The moon's been nurgalized. For 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 Warhammer and 40k fans, you know, yeah. I mean, even the, the name there was it's a strong, even Nurgleth. in the voice, it's a yeah Nurgleth. You know, it's the links are there. This is a demon. It's always easy to show Nurgle as the one who's infected him. 
I, yeah. mean, I mean, well, he's the god of infection, but I don't just mean infected. If, if you see people who are devotees to one of the other three gods, it's not as obvious. It's easy to use Nurgle. And it works for this. I mean, it works great. It's a great scene. It's just, and I love Nurgle. That's that that one's that's my god. That's the one. I, you know, that's the one I like of the four. But it's also just the easiest one to portray in any sort of novelization or story because you just cover everything with yuck. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the, the cycle of death and rebirth and everything else and and pustules and and what have you. Yep. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break and come back with uh, part two, Plague Moon? Go for it. All right, great. And welcome back into uh, part two of False Gods. The Plague Moon, or no, I'm sorry, just Plague Moon. Indeed. And uh, here we are, ready for another battle. Um, (laughs) The tanks and the dropships are getting stuck in the swamp. Yeah, they're not ready for it at all. Because it's a swamp. It's supposed to be dry. And there are swamps because it's that bad, the... The ground, just all just decay and nastiness. And uh, so the Astartes are going ahead in their armor and their musculature is allowing them to just quickly outstrip the army's pace. And when Loken says things like, hey, we got to slow down for these guys, Abaddon's like, no, nah, they need to keep up with us. Uh, yeah, just another, yeah, just, you know, you know <laughs> we're the important guys. Like, they need to keep up with us. Right. And as he's walking, he steps on something that crunches funny, and then something floats to the surface, and it's a, bo- a dead body decomposing. And he checks it, and it's from the 63rd Expedition, and he's like, oh, they're here, they're dead. And then suddenly it reaches up and grabs him and starts ripping at his neck. There we go. Proper zombie horde horror. Exactly. Bit, where just thousands of people, zombies coming up out, and the, the and space it, marines do what they do best against thousands of zombies and... Unload their clips and... And pull out the chainswords and... Uh, and just hack and slash. Yeah. And uh, we cut back to Petronella coming down in her little golden flyer. And um, you're in the DS Ray and they're looking around. They're kind of watching what's going on. There's all these things. They don't... They can't even... You know, they, they don't even know what to shoot. And actually, there's... One of the guys says... You know, we could shoot some of the rounds down there and kill tons of that stuff. We might, if it was Imperial Army, I'd say fire, but I don't want to kill any Astartes accidentally. Exactly. And it's like, there's, I didn't know, and I'm going to give it the the 50-50 call on that. 50-50 A, we wouldn't want to waste an Astartes for no reason. The humans aren't as important. There's, you know, there's a ton of them, yeah. and they're not as important as Astartes. And B, eventually I got to get out of this thing, and if I start <laughs> killing them... They're going to be waiting for me, and um, I think yeah, that's a, there's yeah. got to be a part of that too. Because you, you could be as tough is. as you want, but that guy who runs that runs that Titan, and he's got the power of a Titan at his command. And you know, you got to be a person of will and of kind of of attitude. You in any of these books, when you meet the captains, they're all a bit, you know, like I'm the freaking captain of a Titan. You know, um, 
But still, you don't, don't want to kill Astartes. I think it was mostly out of respect, but I got to think in the back of your head, you just got to think, you got to be a complete idiot to actually to kill one of these guys even by accident. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't go down well. <laughs> Certainly not. But they start registering an uh, incoming ship that they can't account for, and everything so else is just zombies. So they shoot it down. They shoot it down. And it's, it it's, it's uh, Petronella. And the ship crashes. And uh, the zombies are attacking her. And Magar jumps in and just starts killing. This yeah, guy so is a freaking warrior. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, it shows that he's just a bit of a beast. Yeah. Um, to the point where later on, you know, the Space Marines recognize his efforts. And, like, respect. Right. Um, which mean, shows you how much he can kill. Yeah, as a, as a, although modified, he's still a human. Well, they're all sort of in this fog, and suddenly zombies are attacking from everywhere, and nobody knows where anybody is because the fog is so thick, they're losing sight of each other. Yeah. And her ship crashes and is on fire. And they see that, and everyone goes, to that spot. And so as they're fighting their way through the zombies, trying to find a spot to all regroup, he's sitting there, the lone human. Uh, Astartes are dying. Yes, in this. Okay, this is not. This is not just weight of numbers are bringing even Astartes down. And 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 to be fair, the zombies are strong as well. Yeah, they're not just. Th- yeah, there's parts where you can feel it on their neck, and they're ripping off helmets and stuff like that. I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're, it's not cheap B movie zombie from you know the fifties or whatever. They are unnaturally strong too. They're yeah. slow, they seem, but they're unnaturally strong. And part of Magard's ability, uh, it mentions his blade severs body and soul, which... Um, oh, was, that's was cool, that's of, right. Yeah, Petronella's, you know, his, his blades, it was designed to sever body and soul, allegedly. Um, and he's slicing through these zombies with ease. So the blade, obviously, is doing something as well. So there's that kind of... Um, that warp side of it that's being put in there. You know, these things aren't... Right. It's not just... It's not just dead rising from some infection. It's this a magical weapon, so it, the, ethereal, the ethereal has no chance against it. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, that's a fantasy reference. I apologize. <laughs> it's the wrong format. But uh, they finally all converge at the ship, and it's basically he's been fighting and fighting and fighting, and he's starting to get to the point where they're getting to him. But he's lasted that long. As long as it's taken these guys to get to him, he's held out on his own. And as he's about to go under, the bolters start firing. Yeah. And uh, the Space Marines have all arrived at that point, and they sort of save all of them. But uh, there's a there's a great scene that comes up with it, uh, and it comes in later because uh, – oh, yeah, Horus shows up there. And, yeah, it doesn't happen later. Horus shows up there, and he – basically tells her off for being there and then says something about if this you know basically says how how what a great warrior she's got as her guard yes and he just and i think he just starts crying doesn't he he pulls down his knees and starts crying because that's what happens when a primarch talks to a human i mean most no i think the emperor they just start crying they can't even look at him they just see the bright light but the primarchs they fall to their knees and start crying oh uh, boy Excuse me, and yeah, and then and Horace just says, "Well, you're gonna have to keep up." <laughs> yeah, you know. Again, yeah. it's like, "Well, you you got yourself into this. Let's keep up." And he's just because he's he's like not gonna waste any more time. Yeah, no, he's, he's off to try and find Temba. 
his his mind isn't coming off tempo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're here. I'm sorry you did this. I'm sorry you think you misunderstood me. But I'm here to kill somebody, and I'm not stopping for you right now. No. And he, I mean, they plow on through the fog and, and until they find uh, the ship. Yeah, and, and they get there, and Erebus wants Horus to go in. You should go in there and get him, boss. And Loken's like, uh, what are you, stupid? And they really start yeah. arguing back and forth. And Horus is going in anyway. But yeah. Erebus is there all the time, prodding and pushing and cajoling. And, and Logan actually begs Horus to listen to him. He says, please, he, don't let him just... No, we got we got massive Titan there. Just pound that ship into oblivion. Yeah. And then go in. And um, he's like, no, which, I'm still going in. It's personal. You know, he's, and Erebus is just pushing him on that all the time. But he, he does make one concession. He's still not completely gone. His Some of his... He hasn't been blinded to even strategy. He's like, okay, I t- no. no, I'm going. He's, I'm going in anyway. But you're right. I should. I mean, it is right there. So he, before he goes in, he does let the Titan shoot it Have up. Uh, Torgadon comes to talk to Loken, and he's like, "This isn't right." And so you start to see at least one of, at least somebody agrees with Loken. Yes, he can see it. Um. And Horus sets out, and he puts Loken and Torgadon on rear detail. Now, I think Torgadon was already on rear detail because he had, uh, you know, semi, you have, you're going to have someone at the front, you know, at each flank yeah. in the rear, and you have Aximand and Abaddon, or Abaddon left and right, but he actually sends Loken's team in the front. Or people, doesn't he send people from his team in the front? But he has actually Loken in the back with Torgadon, and everyone's like, oh, what did you say to him? Well, yeah, yeah, he just makes the point of having those guys as being the cover, the rear guard. And uh, so they go in, and the Vox, their Voxes, their uh, you know their voice uh, communicators are they can't reach each other. They can't reach each other. They can't you know they're <laughs> they got no signal in this ship for some reason. So they lose track of each other, and then the ship falls over. <laughs> yeah. Falls over onto its yeah. It had been, side. It had been, they shelled it from a Titan, yeah, and it took a happen. big beating. And now as they're clomping through it, it tips it sinks over, into, sinks into the the marsh a little bit more. Um, Horus is separated from Moy and his men. And yeah, that's right, Moy. That's, that's, and he's spiked through the chest as well by Gerda. Yeah, which he grabs and rips out, and his his chest starts all pretty much instantly healing. It's brilliant to be a yeah. That's kind of awesome. Um, and then they well the I, I call them the plague bearers, but basically the zombies. There, there are plague bearers in there as well. Once we get into that nearer the ship, it actually talks about the 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 plague bearers. It describes them. You know, so, uh, so one eye with a horn, yeah, with a horn, with distended bellies. So we've now gone from just having zombies. We've got. Uh, plague bearers as well, you know, demons. Everyone's being they, they attacked at this point. Um, Horus gets up to the command station, and there's Temba, who is obviously a Nurgle herald at this point. Yeah, massive yeah, figure that shouldn't be able to support his own weight, and huge. Yeah. Dis- distorted, as it were. Yeah, just way beyond anything close to normal size, this huge monstrous thing. Um, and Moya's feet dead. Yeah, yeah. and there's 
there's the end of chapter seven. The boys meet there. You're like, oh boy, Horace is going to be pissed. But we cut back to the uh, the fighting. The zombies are attacking still. Uh, the Titans are helping. Every once in a while, they go through and step on a bunch of stuff. They go basically clomping through around the area just outside where they know all the Space Marines are centered. So the Space Marines are taking care of the immediate threat. And these things are stomping around in, in, uh, around the circumference, smashing everything they can up. Um, and there's a great part where Loken actually feels like they're not fighting to the best of their abilities because they're worried. he's worried about Horus. He can't yeah, concentrate on fighting. Half a mind's on Horus while he's in facing off against Temba, which is uh, a great little face-off Um Timber's telling him all these things that Horus the warp is, is not aware of. The really. Emperor is a tyrant. Yeah, you know, there's you know things in the warp, and you don't know what you're doing, and you know, chaos. Chaos is the first power in the universe; it will be the last. You know, when the first ape creatures bashed each other's brains out with bones or cried to the heavens in the death throes of plague, they fed and nurtured chaos. Uh, blah blah blah. So long as man endures, so too does chaos. Right. And, and Horace doesn't know this. Yeah, it's, Horace's it's response to that is actually, you know, oh, you have got to die. It's like, you know what? Just everything you just said proves you. You're sorry. You're going down. Yeah, no. For that's the glory of Nergleth. I'll never die. And he's like, okay. There's a great part. He brought the blade to his blue lips and said, "The War Master Horace." Yeah. And then with a speed that was unnatural in swiftness, the tip of the blade speared for the War Master's throat. He did what they said. He has the anathema. I mean, right yeah. there you could tell what it is. Yeah, we he, know that from the first book, naming your foe. Yeah. <laughs> so so he's got a hold of the blade that Erebus had stolen, and we saw him holding at the very end of the first book. Yeah. And it's just cool. He says the war, and it's just... It's great. It's like, wow, it really did work like they described it. Because you hear it, you're like, even when you hear the description, and it's a science fiction yeah. uh, story, but it's like, oh, you say the name of your opponent, and it tries, it'll do all it can to kill him. It's yeah. like, wait, what? And that's it. Horace, Horace realizes he's not fighting Tember, he's fighting the blade. The blade wants to hurt him. He realizes that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Until until he eventually, you know, after he's taken a, he's had his pauldron ripped off, and the sword in the end stabbed into his shoulder, manages to cut the arm off, and yeah, he 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 did a he parried and did a little something with the sword, which would bend the sword, hit the opponent's sword back in a way that he would be forced to drop it. But of course, Temba's body, and he actually sees before this happens. He sees. Remember in the first book when she when she did the pics and she found the the shape of the original yeah. Space Marine screaming. He sees this Temba guy inside there in his normal form screaming. Yes, and he realizes that something. So he goes and does this flick to put it out of. It's hand, but he just holds on anyway. It's like wrist breaks, but he doesn't let go of the sword. No, to get his blow in. Right. Um, and in fact, yeah, until the sword arm's removed, you know, and, and he can kind of... that That's when he's well feels he's safe. And at that point, we see, you know, we see as he's the final moments of Temba that the, the, the possession's gone. And you're just left with the sad yeah. man. In he the, said, what in did I body? do and forgive me and stuff? And then there's Horace there. This is, I have a little thing marked here. This is the very end. And for me, it's the end of page 157. But uh, Temba's telling him, I, you know, I fell to this and don't fall. And he's what are you talking about? And uh, talking about the fate. And he says, I saw it, Warmaster. The galaxy is a wasteland. 
the emperor dead, and mankind in bondage to a nightmarish hell of bureaucracy and superstition. All is grim darkness and all is war. Only you have the power to stop this future. You must be strong, war master. Never forget that. And it's not you have the power to stop this in battle. I fell to these forces of chaos. Yes. Don't. Only you can stop this. Be strong. Not not be strong in battle. Don't fall to the power of the warp. It's a lie. And I mean, he gets a warning right here. But the warning's not clear. Because, no, because it's one of those dying declarations where... Yeah, because yeah, the emperor dead and mankind in bondage to a nightmarish hell of bureaucracy and superstition. You know, that there's already, a, in, in Horace's mind, that bureaucracy has already is started. already building up and, and all that. Yeah, no, it's really, really kind of well done. Yeah, um, it's, well, what is it? it's like um, The Fugitive with the one-armed man. You know that movie and the yeah. TV show. Uh, if, in, in the movie version, she tries to call the police... And she's like, Richard, he's trying to kill me. And he's home, and she's trying to talk to him. But it looks yeah. like she called the cops and said, Richard is trying to kill me. <laughs> that dying declaration gets really confusing. And he, and like you said, he just, but it's there. And you're reading it going, oh. And see, and that's, that's the type of stuff I didn't notice really the first time around, I think. And, and I mean, I noticed some of it, but. Yeah, I think it, it carries on. Yeah, that pressure's like. You know, even subconsciously put on Horace then, um, and even on page uh, a little bit later on when um, Aximand and that find the War Master there weeping over Temba, holding him. Yeah. Um, and you know, the first thing Horace says is, "I failed him. I failed them all. I should have listened, but I didn't. And now they're all dead. It's too much." Yeah. It's like the breaking down slowly through this book. Horace is being broken down. Which, you know, it's really well done. Yeah, I thought they were ready. I thought this place would be compliant. I left too early. I made the mistake. He didn't want to be here. I forced him to be here. And meanwhile, no, you did everything right. They came back and they messed it up Yeah, to trap you. And it's and everything that goes wrong, they're able to lay it right on his own feet. So That's right. So at that point, so, um, you know, in the end, um, the other guys, because when Timber's dead, all the zombies drop. So, right. All the all the space marines then go. All the sons of Horus then go into to, to grab Horus and to bring him out. And, he, um, and then we, yeah, Horus is walking out on his own power. And before yeah, before we get that, we get a little um, as he's walking out. We then get a little bit about uh, Magnus. Yeah. Well, no, actually, right before we get Magnus, that's when Horus is walking out on his own power, and he gets up there to where everybody is. Oh, he it, drops just his eyes roll thing. back yeah. of his head, and he collapses. And the description is really great in this. Uh, yeah. You know, just the, like like just just this giant, like a giant falling and crashing down. They describe it a couple of times from a couple of different points of view, and there's some there's just some fantastic a bit there. But they'll actually come back to that. Then we get yeah, like you said, we get back to oh Disco. yeah, sorry yeah um, yeah. And that's where yeah, I was there the day that Horus fell. We get right. I was there the day that Horus slew the emperor. Now she's. I was there the day Horus fell, which is yep. <laughs> it's nice. Some more links. It's very good. But and then, then we get um we get a little side bit introduced to um Magnus and his um on Prospero. He's getting ready to start some sort of ritual to warn the emperor about something he's seen. Yeah, he's, he's um waiting. He's, it, we talk through this little section talks about the uh, edict of Nikia. Yeah, no, he's not supposed to be doing magic. Yeah, he's not supposed to be doing magic. 
but he is, and he's carried on, and he's going to have to admit to have carried on doing it because this is so important that he has to tell. You know, um, Horace's life means means everything. Right. Um, and, at this uh, point, his soul, should I say? Yeah, because he's waiting. Though he says Horace may surprise them yet. He he he, he has faith in Horace. Yes. And in his own abilities, which yeah. messes him up horribly. <laughs> and we see this, um, uh, uh, Magnus talks to him about himself as being, uh, he's portraying himself as a thinker and an academic, and you know, he reads and studies and blah, blah, blah. Um, and yet, by the end of the section, he actually talks about spells and covens and, right. and things like that. And it's such a, a, a real kind of polarizing Yes. Two separate different things and, and how they can be seen as well. Exactly. Um, so you get that little, and then you get another little uh, side, aside here before we get back to Horus, is that on the ship, now Magnus is doing this on Prospero all the way across the galaxy. Yeah. Um, on the ship, on the Vengeful Spirit, uh, Carcassia and Euphrates Keeler uh, have a debate over the divinity of the Emperor. And he's pissed off, and she throws him out and says she doesn't want to talk to him anymore if, the, if he doesn't want to listen, if his mind's going to be closed. Uh, he goes and sees Mercedes Odin, and they decide that she should talk to Cinderman because she's acting crazy, and that would be a good person to talk to. At that point, the alarms go off, and everyone's freaking around and screaming that Horace is dead and weeping and wailing. And um, they all run down to the bay, where, the docking bays or whatever, and he, the ship comes in, and they're trying to get him off the ship and to the medic because something's not right with him. This wound isn't healing. Yeah, and He I shouldn't mean, yeah, be they, able to be poisoned. Something's not yeah. right. Big time not right. Um, and they get out and who right in front is Loken. And, you know, he's... Because when Horace falls, there is this great description of... They, like, everybody is shocked and nobody can believe that he's it's even the, falling over, that he's collapsing... No, it's a concept they never considered. And the one person who actually reacts to it is... Petronella. Petronella. And I think mm. that's even funnier because of just... We all know how much bigger he is than the Astartes and then that much bigger <laughs> than her. And she's like, and she's not a big woman either, you know? No. I mean, she she's kind of a little out. tall statuesque. I think they described her a little bit, you know, which beautiful. But, yeah. I mean, she, you know... She, she, there's her. She's the only one trying to help him, like stop him from falling, and she just can't. And now she's the only one trying to get him up. And that's when Loken snaps back when she starts yelling at them. And grab, okay, yes. everybody, grab him. Let's get him going. They land the the ship. Boom! They get off, and people start rushing up to them to see what's wrong with Horus. And yeah, that's, they, kind, they, of, they, that's they kind of a stupid move. I'm sorry. It, it is a stupid move. Um, it's a mob you know, they, they scene. Look, I understand they're terrified. And, and they look up to him. It's yeah, like the old, you know, kind of that pack mentality. It was yep. strange. But but the the um, the Mournival, the, they're the just... Mournival and the other guys who are carrying Horace don't even consider them. They're they're so focused on Horace's getting to the to the Medicaid facility. Right. That they're just batter these people out of the way and it's not even a you know Loken talks later on Loken talks back about oh yeah we did that didn't we they're not even it's, thinking about it and, and no. you know what and that's the thing these guys aren't human and they are soldiers and one of in fact one of theirs the one of theirs 
has yeah. brought, and their attention has been completely drawn inward, and they don't even notice the people around them. I mean, they know what they're doing. It's not like they're stupid, but they're just like, get out of the way, and they're not pulling punches because they're not thinking. They're, no. you know, they've got Horus here, and all of a sudden, all these people are rushing them, and what are you, too stupid to know you need to be out of the way? Yeah, and and um, and and we've got Mercedes and um, Carcassy viewing this. Dozen from, people die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's being viewed, you know, by other people as well. And it's the, their their kind of reaction to it was was awesome. It was like you know, it was like, whoa, no, this shouldn't be happening, no matter the situation. They're disgusted. They're appalled. I mean, horrified. It, you know, it's funny because they've said now for the first book and a half that normal people watching Space Marines doing what they do are horrified. Yes. Their weapons are terrifying. They shoot human-type people with a bolter, and people turn into pink mist. Yeah. I mean, it's that – I mean, they're that devastating, you know. They're that frightening. And but people are now starting aimed. to get to see it. People are starting yeah. to see it. And not just that, it's all the time that's being aimed at your enemy. It has less of an effect. But once you realise that they've just butchered, you know, a dozen people, you know, ac- you know not accidentally, but not there, with there malice. Were ex- there were extenuating circumstances. Yeah, it, it's not with malice, but they still butchered. It's like, hold on, that, that's happened to our own people. And it's that. It's, I think there's part of it is a fear. Yes. Because it's not so much that... Because, I mean, someone even mentions it, or it doesn't matter that there's extenuating circumstances. They're supposed to be above, you know, they're they're supposed to be our protectors. So there's a little bit of outrage, but there's also got to be some fear. If they can do this without even thinking about it, and they've got something protecting them that, tot- that, they just, that it's been brought home, they totally can. Which is kind of reinforced as well, because, you know, at, at various points, they're, you know, kind of, you know, this happened, yeah, but it's worth it for the Ballmaster. Right. Yeah, and so there's all of this sort of kind of going around it. Um, Carcassy gets pissed where after after a lot of the hubbub dies down, um, Keeler is walking around in her robes handing out copies of the... Uh, the Divinitatis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Lactitio around it. And that, and that over the next few chapters gets taken up more and more people and in higher and higher positions. You yes. Know, uh, uh, kind of, hold on. They're grabbing hold of something. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, it's, their world's been rocked. Right. Oh, so and that, they're reaching that, out. It's great when that starts to happen. It's really, mm. it's really. I, I love when those things, when those things uh, pop up like that. Um, and then while this is going on, Horace is obviously being taken to the um, uh, to the Medicaid facilities, and, and the doctors there like, yeah, I don't really know what's going on. Um, what do you mean nothing, you can't help him? This nothing is... should be able to hurt him, for starters. I mean, they, you know, they work out that it's, it seems to be a genetic virus that's coded into Horace's genes. Yeah. Uh, but they can't really help him because they don't really know anything about Horace's genetic makeup to start with. They said he's not one of us. It, no, you know, it's, it's basically it's, like a human doctor trying to fix an Astartes. It's the yeah, same sort it's of completely game. alien. So <laughs> they're really up the creek. And and got no paddles. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the army commander is demanding that there be some retribution and some punishment for what the Astartes have done. Malaghurst is like, really? I mean, and even that's this is where this comes up. He's like, you can see 
He's like, you know, Horace is hurt. I'm like, he's like, I'm certain they didn't even notice the people around you. And there's and that's when he says they have to be above it. He goes, they are our protectors, and they have been given. They're they're so much more powerful. You can't, and it's basically, you know. <laughs> You can't go running down the street and because you're upset, knock little children out of your way. You can't no. do. It. You can't kill little children because they were in your way when something. Especially when you're that little children's childminders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you, it's, it's a warning that you're going to lose like the humanity. Yeah, you know, people will turn. There'll be resentment and and all that, and yet it's just brushed off. At, you know, Madagascar's brushing off again. No, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. No um, now this is the chapter 10 is where the split happens this is where the book really starts to start to divide and set things up it's really I, I like this part um, the apothecary as you already pointed out is out of his depth Yeah, and uh, they can't stop the poison and they're like well if we knew where it came from we could work with it so Loken's like alright um, you need what God, uh, we'll, we'll bring it to you. And he leaves, and Torgadon follows him. He's like, you're going to try to stop me? He's like, what are you, stupid? I'm going with you. Yeah. So um, yeah. Loken seems the most kind of with it yeah. out of all of these people. He's you know, he's logically thinking things through. Right, we'll go and get the weapon. We'll find out what caused it. Then we can fix him. Well, he wanted to grab it before they left. But yeah. everyone's like, no time. We have to get Horus up there. Uh, so now he winds up getting split. Him and Torgadon wind up getting uh, going off to get the weapon. Uh, there's a great little side uh, bit here describing how impossible it is to get a Titan back up to space. Yeah, again, um, I talked right at the start about Gray McNeil, how he writes about the, how the, the feel of everything, all the little details. And, you know, as they're coming back in, they're still trying to get these Titans back up into well, and they're Into actually it. digging out the delivery system because it's yeah. caused a crater, and they've and they're like, we can't just leave it. They're not disposable. <laughs> no, they've got to they've got to put the Titan back in, put the framework all back around them, you know, dig it all out, you know, attach the lantern and fire them back up into space. And it takes people and it takes time days and, and th- hundreds, yeah. if not like you said, if not a thousand people. And meanwhile, uh, you've got the characters we've already been introduced to. Uh, Titus is there and he's off in a corner and there's nothing to do so he pulls out a copy of the Divinitatis yep. and he's reading it and suddenly someone's behind him and he goes to hide it and he turns around and it's it's his friend Jonah but he's got a whole group with him and he's like oh crap yeah. he's like this is it he kept warning me not to have it out and there's people here and they're all standing there he's trying to hide it and they're there and they're all kind of looking at him and they don't look angry, and then it clicks. He's like, he pulls it back out, and he's like, "Okay, folks, let's pray." Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. And it's weird. They're all praying for Horus. Horus is dying, praying to mm. the emperor for Horus. And uh, that's when Horus now is lying in the apothecary, and he calls Petronella to him. Yeah, this is really quite good as well. It just even more. Um, Kind of of what of where we can see Horace is where he's at. Well, he thinks you know, he's dying, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you exactly what I think of you guys, which yeah. is a little okay. I know he's on his deathbed, but rather than say what he's proud of or what he's sorry for, he's like, all right, I'm going to tell you what I really think of you. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, 
Because he um, does a bit of that. Because, I mean, he starts to pour yeah. out his heart. He actually asks, you know, he wants to know, where is the justice in him handing over the galaxy that he conquered to these people? Because they've got these people coming in. They were coming in the last book. All these humans yeah. with the, you know, with their with their administration and coming in and telling him what he has to do. Where's the justice in him handing it over to them who are so ungrateful? It's like he, he, you feel he really hasn't had his story told, and it's like, well, if I'm going to die, you know, um, you talk about I was, I was just the the one the emperor most needed at the time. You know, I had ambition um, to become war master. That's why I'm war master. Um, and he's upset because of this, and he's upset because of this. But neither of them deserve it because he doesn't have that, and he doesn't have that. I mean, it's just yeah. like, damn. Now, a little quick side check here. Um, I know Mark Wildman plays. Or he's played. Uh, there's a. I used to play a role playing game, Vampire: The Masquerade, yeah. from White Wolf. Yeah. And um, I'll keep this short. Anybody who doesn't know, they've got a really great and unique fluff backstory for vampires, which is the first vampire was Cain. He killed Abel and was cursed, and became like basically like the first vampire. And there's a book that's passed around among the vampires, which is considered apocrypha, and you could get killed even for having it. You know, some people are. It's not that bad, but. Uh, there's some people who really just don't like it. Some people who follow. It's called the Book of Nod, and it's a, it's all this writings about Cain's travels in the land of Nod after he was kicked out of Eden. And White Wolf put out a Book of Nod, yes. okay, and it's fantastic. Like it's really well done. It looks handwritten. There's drawings in it, but it's all written in like Bible verse. But it's all about vampires. I would love. If Black Library would publish a fluff book in one of those little fancy covers of this, of yeah, of, of what good. she was writing about him, which she was taking his valid his valediction, yeah, and validation, and 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 I know it's a long way to get around to say that, but this was so interesting. I mean, yes. just to get into, I mean, this could really help to make that conversion seem less. I mean, the 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 critique that they get all the time about this book. To sell a book about Horace's last, you know, d- you know him, just all the stuff he said, print that, put that out. First of all, it, they might, you know, they're already printing money. Why not print some more? Because who wouldn't buy it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you could use that as a first-hand account of how to to fill this part in the part that everybody wants a little that wants more of is how did this? Let's see the steps. Let's see how cleverly this ladder was built. That set him on this course. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just I no, thought yeah, about it, that. I mean, today. there's a lot in there. It's a there's only a couple of pages really in the book. There's a lot in there. He, you know, he talks about you know Angron and Night Haunter and their issues. And Sanguinius should have been the War Master. He was much better. You know, he's got the wisdom but to rule once we've done. And, five minutes of him talking, maybe seven minutes where he talked to her for hours. I would love for them to print that. That yeah. would be, and I mean, there you go. Take that black library. I don't even, you know, I don't even need the credit for it. Just go ahead and set set someone on that job, and then when you put that out, you don't even have to mention me in it or thank me or anything. Just I'll buy the book. That'll be thanks enough. And I, yeah, I, I think this is, you know, this is one of the major cruxes of the decision. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, there's, there's just a lot there. Yeah, they say, um, but surely the crusade was the first step towards creating a new imperium for mankind to rule the galaxy. Horace's replies, and what of the warriors who conquered it for you? Snarled Horace. What become? What becomes of us? Are to we become gaulers and peacekeepers? Well, we were bred for war, we were bred to kill. That is what we were created for. 
but we have become so much more than that. I am more than that. Yeah, I'm more than we've become more than I'm more than that. So yeah, he's he's really at this point. You know, he's this is him voicing those kind of concerns of very he, human concerns. You know, yes. um, these are these are concerns. I mean, he sees him coming to the end of his usefulness. They don't die; they live forever. But he's having the same. He's voicing the same concerns that you know an older person or you know someone or me might voice at near when they start nearing the end of their life that this isn't fair. You know what I'm saying? It's it's those same sort yeah. of concerns that we have about our life is ending and are are we going to have an eternal reward or anything like that? And he's going, you know, his life isn't ending, but his usefulness isn't. What am I going to get for it? That's it. And so, so he's um, already got these ideas in his head that yeah, he's not going to get thanked for it. So you know, Erebus has been planting that crap the whole time they've been mm. flying. Never, and once again, too subtle. <laughs> yeah, possibly. They never mentioned that he's the one doing it. But man, does it sound just like the arguments that are about to happen in his little, you know, yeah, Indian yeah. smokehouse. Uh, and the ones you know, that Erebus doesn't implant, Erebus plays on certainly. Right. So, yeah. So while Horace is after that, we we've um, we get another scene in the lodge. There's a, a lodge meeting while Horace is struggling for his life. Yeah, uh, and meanwhile, Loken is going back to yeah. Whilst Loken's doing his thing, and they bring Moisa, that guy who was always with him. The Moy had a like a, practically a twin. They called him his Mar. brother, but who was that? Mar. Yeah, Mar. Mar. And he wants to see where he died, so they let him go with. But yeah, they. I mean. Yeah, I mean, basically, they go there and find the sword. That's that's what that bit's about, isn't it? Yep. They find the weapon. Abaddon gets a scene where he's pissed at the emperor, and actually mm. says some harsh things because Aximan tells him, "I'd have killed anyone else in this galaxy who would have said what you just said," and that comes up right before the lodge meeting. It's it's just because he's basically. Oh yes, yes. I mean, he's practically talking here. Abaddon, he hasn't been corrupted yet at all but you can tell he is 100% wholly devoted to Horus over anything else yeah he's left us to clean up what he couldn't be bothered to finish and for what some some damn project on terror that's more important than us more important than us he, he, yes he's the he's the less intelligent less quiet more easily seeable by us version of Horus's own thoughts yeah yeah, you know, and you can see how it's going to be so easy. There's, I mean, Loken isn't going to turn at all. No. Abaddon is already he's turned, un- even though nobody's asked him to. He's not anti-emperor, no, but he's but so he's, pro Horus that yeah. if Horus asks him, he's gone. And you've got the other two to kind of see where they fall. Mm. Which I just kind of, I kind of love that balance. You've got the two you're not certain of, but there's, <laughs> you know, there's going to be one captain on each side of this when this is over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what happens at the lodge meeting then? That's Erebus well, uh, is there. Yeah, it, it it pretty much set up. You've got all all the major players are there, and it's um, it's pretty much set up for uh, for little Horus. For little Horus, that's the one I was trying to remember which of the two it was. Because yeah. Torgaddon's away, so it's Horus Axmund. Um It's a Horus is telling them about, or uh, Erebus is telling about the Serpent Lodge. Yeah. And how the, it's their last chance, their only chance to save Horus. And everyone's just like, yep. Except yeah. except for little Horus, who basically says, wait, isn't this sorcery? And Erebus says, it, so what? Yeah, exactly. Is, his, we've seen, 
you see pretty much everyone important in the thing in the um, Sons of Horus, who's you know they all their talk about logic and and the imperial truth and all that, you know, that failed them. Immediately they turn around and well, we'll try sorcery. Well, it was once again, and Erebus is the one who brought it to them, and Erebus is the one yep. who's talking. So it is, and then, and he gives you that that fal- that fallacious sort of argument where isn't the emperor's life worth it? Absolutely, yeah. You know, and it's, it's just it's, that really you're going to let him die. I mean, just honestly, the pushing. Yeah, the pushing of you've got no other options. Exactly. It's it's it's, 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 it's try this, which you don't like, or Horace dies, and everyone willingly kind of accepts that. We're gonna we're gonna do anything. Right. We're gonna pay any price to save Horace. And that yeah, he plays on that. Wouldn't you do anything yeah. to save him? Well, sure we would. Well, and then he, and then when they say this could be evil, he says it's probably not going to work anyway. But we have no other choice. And if it doesn't no. work, what does it matter what it was? Absolutely. And if it does work, isn't you just said it was worth any cost? It just it it sort of piles into that and. It's little Horace is the only one who doesn't want. He realizes he's alone in this. He's not happy with this. He actually even says, "Are we going to do this without without uh, t- uh, Torgadon and Loken?" And then what's his name jumps in and says, "Loken isn't even one of us anymore." No, he's out. He didn't like the lodge. He quit the lodge. I don't want to hear. You know, he, he he doesn't even count. So you can see that the sentiment to some of these guys, who even though even though it's an open lodge and it doesn't matter if you're in or not. He was right the whole time. If you're not with us, you're against us. You're not in the lodge. You've chosen to be out of the lodge. So now, when these things happen, nobody, you know, you're, 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 his his voice doesn't matter. Um, it's uh, it's really kind of crazy. It really is. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's kind of funny because it's it's got that whole sort of, uh, you know, it's just that that temptation. You know, he's yeah. going to die. Or you can do this. To what lengths do you go? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and even I mean, even to the point when you know they, they take Horace and they bear him to the to the ship to take him down to Davin, and it's a funeral procession, pretty much. You know, they're lining, they're throwing, you know, it, the people are lining the 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 hall, saying prayers and making sure they stay out of the way this time. <laughs> they um, do. They make saying very- prayers and. They haven't got flowers, so they rip up paper and throw it and, and and whatever. But it's it's kind of their last chance, but also their kind of you know their funeral procession of Horus as well. Yep, how I saw it. Yeah, I mean, because um, I mean, everybody, I mean, nobody wants it, but like nobody seems to know what to do. And no, they're and taking it kind it of is bizarre. Yeah, and it kind of is. It's it's kind of we we never see that same Horus, so it kind of is the funeral right. of. Of the Horus we know. And they do bury him, basically. I mean, they put him in this yeah. deep temple, and they locked the door, and they this said, in nine days... Eight-sided building. Yeah. In nine... Um, eight-sided building. And in nine days, that door's going to open. Yeah. And and Loken's, um, Loken's race to get the, the, the blade, you know, he finds out that they're taking Horus to Davin, so he, he flies down and races up the temple and everything else. Um, and even as he's going, he's like, hold on, these Davinites... They don't look human at all. Right. They don't act human. Why 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 did the you know, why did the word bearers accept this much divergence? Yeah, when, they, they normally don't accept every any. other time we every other time we met this kind of divergence we've we've destroyed it. Yeah, they've they they're obviously they're not they're off of the, the genetic markers enough where 
so, so you start putting this kind of the word bearers have been here and they left these people and said they were fine and there's you've got this eight-sided building and if anyone's ever played warhammer they know that eight <laughs> is the number of chaos oh and uh, let's not also forget that uh, you know before loken's rushing back the moon has cleaned itself up yeah Everything that was dead is now dry. It's all dry again. The swamps are gone. The trees have fixed up. He knows that whatever was there did its job and is gone. He knows. It's so funny. He knows what's going on at this point. He knows exactly what's going on. He finds that anathema. He knows who took it because they knew what type it was. Yeah. And now he rushes back, and it's like you said. They've got this funeral, and... um, he, and he arrives. He just cannot put all the pieces together because he no. can't conceive of what's happening. He knows exactly what's happening, and he, he doesn't, doesn't believe he, it's real. He's like no. th- that. He also doesn't get the chance to kind of sort it out there, and then he arrives you know, 10 seconds too late. Right. Just like he did on Zenobia, just like he did when he found out about chaos. He was just rushing to tell Horace the good news, and he was just too late again. That must kick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's he's there and and, yeah, and he and he knows he's let down and he's he's there struggling to kind of then work out how he's going to come about bringing this up and, and bringing Erebus to heal yeah. with the required proof. Exactly. And Torgaden knows what's going on, but he doesn't want to say anything because Torgaden always he never shuts up. And Logan's no. like, I don't want to say it yet. Because Logan's playing it close to the chest, trying to make sure he's got to... Because he can't... He is not yeah, going to... he plays his hand too early. Well, you know what? They're it's, they're playing his sense of honor against him, too. Yes. He's not going to go and accuse another Astartes of doing these things. And he's, he knows he's doing it. But unless he can exp- prove he's doing it and explain why, because it's so inconceivable that he would do it, he's not even going to bring it up. He's not going to besmirch this guy's name in case he's wrong. He's not going to put himself in a place to be to make some dishonorable charges and make himself look stupid and possibly embarrass the Luna Wolves. There's a they're they're playing on that with him. He you know yeah. Um, but then we get to uh, chapter twelve, the last chapter of part two, and we cut back and Carcassi is writing. He's writing something called "The Truth Is All That Matters." Um, he keeps saying that to himself. Loken taught him that. He knows they're never going to allow this. He knows they're gonna, he's writing a scathing, poetic indictment of the Astartes just tromping through humans, you know, without without a care. And uh, so he decides he's going to go see Euphrates Keeler and find out how she's printing up the Levitic or the Lactitio Divinitatis, and he's going to use that to print up copies of his own work because people need to see this and need to read it and need to understand how dangerous these damned Astartes are. Yeah. Which, yeah, I have so much trouble sympathizing with this. I mean, I just, I understand that it comes to a point where they're, you know, they're, these are our protectors and blah, 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 but I don't know. I just, I guess just to me, they're, I mean, I, I you know, I didn't witness it. I mean, it's got to be horrifying to watch those types of people just decimating. It's got to be psychologically scarring. But sitting on this side of the book, I'm just like, oh, you guys, come on. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I didn't get that personally. I was like, yeah, this is a guy who's 
seen the potential of what could happen and is saying, look, you know, these guys can't just be allowed to do this. Oh, yeah, and, and he's doing what a, he can. I, yeah. I, I totally get that. And we've covered the Loken bit. I think we're in part three. Yeah, actually, no, there's one last thing that does happen. I knew there was one last thing that happens, and that's Loken gets there, and they have just, I mean, they literally just closed Horus into the temple. I know you yeah. said he gets there 10 seconds too late, but there is a really vicious sort oh, yeah. of yeah. exchange here. A real where, standoff. Yeah. Um, I mean, he basically just goes after, Loken goes after, Air, uh, or he goes after them, starts yelling about Erebus. Uh, he's like, what did you do? What did you do? I mean, and he's offended by what he's seeing here. You brought him down to some religious ceremony. Some fane, yeah. Yeah, you brought him to a fane. And, and, and of course, Abaddon's the one who's the one who stands up to him. And what if we did? You would have done the same. You weren't there. You know, yeah. this is what it comes down to. And he's like, I wish I was there. I would have stopped you. And, I, I, you know, you'd like to think he would have said no. But look, Horace kind of went along with the group and was willing to, you know, there's just that, like you said, they got split up. They weren't there watching him die, looking at his body deteriorating. Because they did a description of what he looked like. His cheeks were sunken in. He had no color in his face. I mean, when, yeah. he, when he's the most beautiful, most charismatic thing that they've ever seen mm. and reduced to something horrendous like that. I mean, look at the, the just the terror, the shock. You know, basically, you know, that you weren't even there. And, uh, you know, oh, that's right. Here's the one. Uh, if the emperor was here, he would do the same. And uh, that's when he t- you think you know the emperor's will. Being a lodge master of a secret society give you the power to know that. And it's just like it's going back and forth. It's like you want to trust these people, these savages. And... Uh, he just he won't back down, and it gets to the point where it's almost going to be a fight. And he's yeah. like, uh, and Loken's just like, I want Erebus, and I want him now. And they're like, he's not here. We don't know where he is. And uh, and he just he does he tells him off. He does kind of go. This is the one part where he tips his hand. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's just like you've been Sets deceived. Only the emperor has this power. And then Targos tells him again, the emperor's not here. And he's just like, ugh. And uh, and that's when Abaddon steps in and, and goes to the Torgadon and says, who are you going to, hey, pick a side, butter. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, and then, but, and, and then uh, you know, to his to his credit, Torgadon, Garvey may be a star jars, but he's right, and I can't stand with you on this one. I'm sorry. Yeah. And Abaddon just loses it. You're breaking your oaths to us and to me and to this, and they're like, you know, you're, he calls them oath breakers, and it was just like, at that's the point where little horror steps into the middle, and and uh, you know, try, he tries to smooth things over. Look, it's a full moon; it's reflecting in the pool, just like it did when you became one of the mournable. That's a good omen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was the wrong word. Yeah, we resorted to omens. Yeah. And that's yeah. He's I, I believe you will all rule the rue the day you brought the war master here, and that's the end of part two. And uh, that takes us up to another little break, I think. Yep. And, uh, and we will be uh, right back.
So when we left off, we were just picking up uh, part three, the house of false gods. Okay. <laughs> Horace wakes up in the middle of Wuthering Heights. <laughs> uh, he's lying in a meadow and <laughs> just sitting there enjoying the grass between his toes and whatnot. And then it turns all polluted and dead and evil, and there's sulfur in the air, and it turns into the fire and brimstone version of hell almost, but with the, the with an industrial twist. Yeah, a very forty k industrial twist. Yeah, with um, and and while this is going on, he's then getting chased by wolves. He's getting chased to try by and wolves. Talk to him. Which again, I read it the second time, and I still didn't get what it was. Because he said that he kind of there's a part where it mentions how he thinks he sees the shape of a face beneath the wolf and it's got one eye. Yeah, this, I, was, I think this this whole section is is Horace is not sure who he is for this first part of this. Um, that's like right, dream dream like sequence. He, he he knows he's Horace, but beyond that, he doesn't know a lot. He knows um, his name, and the wolves are yeah. actually telling him you need to remember who you are so that you can get through this. And my feeling was the wolves are there to try and re- remind him that he was the lunar wolves. And I think there's, yeah, yeah, of course, uh, yes, Magnus took a wolf form to push the Luna Wolves. Absolutely. And, it, yeah, we know it's Magnus. We know it's because of the Cyclopean eye and, and that and the, those little bits. So he's trying to trying to bring Horace back to being himself, and he warns him, you know, someone's coming. Well, there's You're the nice, have to be ready. Yeah, there's the nice double meaning of that. Not only have to remember who you are, but there's yeah. that remember who you are. You're the war master. Stay strong. It's yeah. another meaning that sort of... Uh, just like the you know the guy who who he killed the guy who you know winds Temba, up stabbing yeah. him yeah Temba uh, there's that double sort of meaning someone trying to get to a message and uh, not knowing exactly how to interpret it absolutely Erebus is working on this ritual and with the, yeah with with uh, Akshab the priestess and he's inside the temple nobody knew where he was he's inside the temple with Horus. He's yeah. managed to separate himself. They're telling you, we can't get in there, we can't do anything, we can't open it. Yeah, and he's in there with um, with the priestess and also... Um, and some, some other, you know, the, the, of their religious people, a couple yeah, other... Yeah, and, and he's, he's got um, he's got wards around it to protect because he knows that someone's going to try and come in. So he's got um, mechanical and mystical wards oh, surrounded also, by this. Go ahead. And we actually find out at this point where, you know, some of the Mechanicum is already on the side of the word bearers. Yeah, disaffected Mechanicum adepts who welcomed the knowledge of the word bearers could give them knowledge that had been forbidden to them by the Emperor. So right at this early stage, we know that the the, the seed of heresy has spread further yeah. than, than we're reading about. Yeah, we already know they've set up the lodges, they set up this, and it's like now that they've let them know, listen, this is the type of stuff the Emperor doesn't want you working with, mixing up the... the uh, you know, the mechanical with the stuff from the warp. They don't want to mixing it that much. And, you know, they're like, come and help us. You can do whatever you want. Uh, there's a, a sacrifice done inside an eight-pointed star, a mutilation sacrifice. Yep. Um, there's a whole thing about how this is the culmination of a millions of tiny little events as they've been tapping them into, into the proper order. Um, just a lot of that stuff going on in this in this. And, uh, uh, thing culminating in um, the final sacrifice for the spell to send Erebus into the dream, which was his own death. Right, and they, they tell him there's a one-eyed ghost trying to break through. Now, he's not trying to... Yes. Ju- he, they don't just have the wards up, too, just to keep out Magnus. Um, they've got the wards so that this opening in the warp, this spiritual energy is not picked up by any of their... 
yeah, to keep it secret and keep it all. Yeah, because everything. the people running the ship would notice this. Like they're yeah. the, the different people would notice this imbalance suddenly happening in the warp. So they've got it blocked off. Basically, it's it's in a you know a soundproof, lightproof. There, you know, nothing goes in or out of this box. There's just a dead zone there where nothing penetrates. So now you go back, and Harris is back in the nice land. He wakes up again, and he wakes up, but now he has his memory back, and he knows that this is BS. Parts of it, yeah, and he, he works out something's wrong, um, and he's he's trying to gather that back, and he go, you know, kind of just takes a walk basically to get a drink while he's doing this, um, and sees a body in a in the water of a space marine and runs down turns it over and flips him out and it's Hasta Zajanus who is the the guy who died on on um, 63-19 in the first book his beloved son and everything else yeah he, he was the he was the guy whose spot Torgadon filled in uh, not Torgadon um, Loken yeah Loken in filled in the Mournival and so that's that's where it stops and it cuts back to Loken who is now going back to the vengeful spirit uh, he has to talk to Cinderman, he's got Torgadon and Vipus. They're staying behind. Watch just anything in case anything bad happens. Bad like what? Bad like I don't know. You'll know it when you see it. Just watch. Yes. You know, he's, I don't know what we're looking for. That's the damned problem. But you know what's going on. Pay attention. Or call me the second you see Erebus's stupid face. He's just like, I want this guy. It seems during this point, during the story, Loken is running around trying to find out what's going on. Horus and Erebus are in the temple, and uh, the rest of the Mornival are just basically standing there. <laughs> yeah, they're just standing guard. They're standing guard on in the, the temple, guard. exactly, and so they're like out of it. So he's sort of got a free chance to run around and get all the information he can while they're sort of distracted. Um, That's right. Now, Sejanus is trying to hurry Horus. Yeah. Because the wolves are coming, and he doesn't like... He's like, we got to stay away from them. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, he's telling him about the benevolent warp denizens. Yeah, he's yeah. You know, the warp's just a, a natural force. Yeah, um, and they can't and exist he, out here. They don't want anything to do with us. We're hurting them. They just want. They need someone as amazing. They need an amazing person to be their ambassador. They need someone who can handle what's going on over here. Someone who can handle it. Yeah. You know, and they, they're looking at you, Horace. You are you are that amazing person who can come and let the emperor know, hey, there's you know this has got to be put straight. You know, it's like oh, good. That's right. Yeah, he's he's playing up to him a little bit, mm-hmm. and then a gate <laughs> um, pops up, and, and yeah, kind of shuffles him off through a gate. Yeah, a gate that he says leads to the truth. Absolutely, and, and Horace is. You know, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's going to accept kind of the truth. That's what he's always searching for. He's always believed right. in that. So he, he knows how, again, it's Erebus knowing how to play. Knowing how to play, Horus. exactly. And um, meanwhile, thousands of people are still gathering outside the temple. More and yeah. more people coming off the vengeful spirit and down to the planet to sit and, and wait vigil to see what happens. Yeah, and then, and then back into this, this, this world that Horus uh, went to where... It's a shrine yeah. world, they a call it. A shrine world. He walks through you know, a cityscape and there's people yeah, making pilgrimages up to these statues and, and it's just completely alien to, to him and, 
And it's funny because he sees the giant statues of Sanguinius, Dorn, Russ, Gilliman, Korax, the Lion, Ferris Manus, Vulcan. Everyone's the there. Khan. Well, it's funny. It's all the guys Bye. who seem to be, you know, at least from what we see, you know, standing up for the. And then they're all surrounding a big giant statue of the Emperor. There's no statue of Horus. There's no Fulgrim. There's no Angron. And no. he just keeps telling them, the Emperor has tossed you aside. Yeah, well, Horus, first he gets annoyed that they're worshipping the Emperor. Yes. Um, and that annoys him. And then when he realizes he's not there, he gets even more annoyed. Because why aren't they, if they're going to do this, why isn't he being recognized? You know, as Warmaster and everything else, where's, where's his statue? Not since Horus had parted from his father and bro- brothers had he felt so isolated. Suddenly he felt the pain of being confronted with the scale of his own vanity and pride as he realized how much he thrived on the adoration of those around him. So you start to get a little self-actualization. You start to see that bit of, you know, because uh, then it comes up. On every face he saw the same blind devotion as he had witnessed in those that circled the statues. A beloved reverence for a man he called father. Didn't these people realize the victories that had won their freedom, had been won with Horus's blood. It should be Horus's statue surrounded by his brother Primarchs, not the Emperor's. And that's when he grabs one and starts yelling, he's not a god, and shakes the guy till his neck snaps. Yeah. And uh, it, he's upset because you shouldn't be worshipping him. He's not a god. And he's always told us this, and he's told you not to do this, you shouldn't do it. But on the same part, he's like, but you should be worshipping me. Yeah, if you're going to worship him, then I should be included in this as well. Exactly. And, and it actually on. goes, not just, I'm not here, but it carries over to, it should be me. Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah. and he starts talking about his own, uh, yeah, and so he, he kind of kind of runs away from it all to get some space. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that last bit of that little section, Father, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, again, there it shows up. <laughs> he's, a, he's a broken... Kind of the breaking down of him. Now here's where it goes. I mean, and I think this is the part where they really appeal to Horace's vanity because they mention it. He mentions how much he needs this. Yes, he needs to be adored. He gets it. He wants to be worshipped. The honesty, the truth comes out in his anger. Um, and I think you got his tragic flaw right here. And they this appeal to that, and it leads him to believe this future vision is possible even i mean he's got to know this isn't re- he knows the world he's in isn't real he knows what he's going through he knows he's in the warp you know he he's looking at the future horus isn't stupid and this is the part where i think a lot of people we're getting into the part where the problem is yes and i think there's a, a he does address it a little bit later and he does and it's like yeah. you know there's all sorts of different things that can happen um and and we get another Loken and Cinderman meeting, and you know, because he he's only got so many places he can go to for information. He is out on the fleet, you know. Yeah. And this is the one where Cinderman, all the way through that first book, when he was being logical and and you know reason reasoning things, this is the one where you get to the point where he's just like, no, I kind of believe in it now. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I can't explain it, but it's something. Um, he's and really go- interested in that he's in a serpent lodge. Yes, and they go through the whole, uh, and what about this serpent, um, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, uh, the, it has other names, Nahash, to guess. But then it has other names, enemy, adversary, Satan. Uh, 
uh, Satan. I've heard this name before. Um, yeah, it, and then it goes on to, if you look close, you see the word serpent, uh, Dracon, the cosmic serpent that was seen as a symbol of chaos. Right, and then he's like, and what? That's, and that's where you okay. get, that's, he also finds the passage that, that we read at the beginning of the last, of, of we read at the beginning of the of the review. Yeah. And he is the, com- I am Horus, I am the coming, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a prophecy. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. And it's all there, and he still can't believe it. He still doesn't have enough to just go huh. and say, listen, it's here. Look at it. Bring it out in the open. His, you know, he wants everything out in the open. And that's kind of interesting. I just even thought about that. He preaches about how everything everything should be out there. Yes. And when we try to hide things, this is when evil sets in. And his inability to bring this to light, his inability, I mean, he's kind of hiding what he finds. He only lets Torgadon in a little bit, you know? Yeah. And he's keeping it from these people. And, uh, you know, he's almost... Right. It's like, you know, he knows that secrets are being kept. So he feels he's got to keep these until he's certain that he could bring them out into the light properly. Yeah. And he can't beat them at their own game. (laughs) There's nothing that he's going to be able to keep secret or keep quiet. Um and that's when it cuts back to Horus, uh, who basically wants to leave the, the 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 shrine world. Yeah. And so Sejanus uh, tells him he'll, he'll take him to the beginning. Yeah. So they step through another a, 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 a door of light, as it were, and they and wind end up, up in a in, the, in a technological place with people going around with like hazard suits on, and and uh, and we we realize. Well, they get to the door first, and Horace is, um, doesn't want to go through the door. It's like something's wrong. It's not. It's not right. Exactly. Uh, it's got uh, some ancient weird writing on it. And Sejanus, Erebus slash Sejanus, you know, you think to see your answers. This is not the Horace I followed into battle for two hundred centuries. So he just pushes him that little bit. Yeah. Oh, really? Wait a minute. Or, or, Aren't you Horace? What do you mean you don't want to go through a door? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I was here with Horace. Yeah. Just you know the Warmaster. Exactly. For Horace. To make his own mind up, um, to actually go through this door where they enter this chamber where there's uh, it's basically a laboratory with all the with a load of uh, tanks. Yeah, Horace has realised that he's back at his birthplace in the uh, Emperor's labs. And he's wondering, standing at the tanks and wondering what's going on. There's just sort of him, sort of at this point, he's just wandering around and touching the tanks because then they cut back to another scene on the spirit with um, Freddy uh, Keeler. Oh no, it's down. It's up back down on no, Davin. This is down at, on 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 Davin where we have Euphrates and um, Titus from the from the thing, and this is this is hundreds of people. You know, th- there's almost a church been set up. Um, yeah, she's taking pics, and he's trying to hurry her up to go speak, and there's, yeah. she's kind of taken over his little. I mean, he had basically the church started. Yes, uh, but then he found her, and she's just a much more natural speaker and storyteller. There's no. Animosity. It's not a. She took this from me. It's like oh, he was like, "Oh, thank God, someone else can talk to them," and she's really good. And people listen. Um, but as they're walking back, they get attacked by some imperial army. Yeah. Um, they bump into each other. You know, he knocks knocks down uh, Titus. She yells at him. He knocks her down. So they start kicking him. The military guys just start all booting this guy. Yeah. And, I mean, what was it? They shout, "Get her." Uh, Emperor loving witch. 
Yeah. So the, again, these these are soldiers who believe in what the Horus is doing and have turned, as we've seen before, have kind of, you know, the Emperor's given up on us, so we're going to give up on him. Yeah. So it really solidifies that until... Um, well, and plus they don't talk- like copies of the Divinitatis because that... It's funny. You can't sit here and... and, and Praise the God as an emperor, you you know, you weirdo. You're going against all the things he teaches. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're doing this outside of their vigil in the, in, the in this yeah. You know, yeah in the on the vision quest for Horus. But thankfully, Torgadon shows up, saves the day. Um, yeah, and and sends um, and he knows who she is. Are you killer? Yeah, because he's yep. co- he's come looking for her to send her back to Loken. Yeah, you're going, to, and she's like, "What am I supposed to go?" See? Yeah, you're going to see Cinderman. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. Cinderman, sorry, yeah. No, it's okay, yeah. And so she's going. Uh, and then we're back to Horus again. Yeah, and this was, for me, this was almost the most important part of the dream sequence. Yeah. Because um, you've got, Horus is looking at uh, all the, the, the Primarchs in their infant states. And um, Erebus, as Sejanus is saying, you know. Um, You're a tool being used. The Emperor's can't, a thief and yeah, a liar. Yeah, start. This is not just science. There needed more than just science to do this. The Emperor used the power of the Chaos Gods. Oh, it tells him that he made a bargain with them to get that and then power? And the bargain. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you were lied to He's from a the start. He's a liar. Yeah, and then you were just tools. This, and it's all part of the Emperor's plan to become Godhood, and all, all the Primarchs are just tools for him to to achieve his godhood. Now, there is a weird thing that happens here, and parts of this kind of confuse me, and another part of it comes in because we're back in this room in a later book that I yeah. don't want to spoil, but that scene and this scene don't... Are directly contradictory. Exactly. So yeah. something's a lie. Both could be a lie. I don't know, but I'm watching this. And I'll Nobody bring this up now, because this is something that came up later on okay. when people take that other book and they say, but in, in this book, this happens. Um, there are a number of things with these books to remember. Each each novel we are reading has a viewpoint. Right. Uh, and this is told from Loken's viewpoint. Uh, and that other book we're talking about is, you know, a completely different person's viewpoint. Well, and not even uh, that, this but this scene, this so, is A, what... you've got two sides of one story. Mm-hmm. And those stories are told by two separate people. So they are their own versions of the truth. Well, and to take in it even context. into the same context, but a different area is... And this then, is what Horus is being told by the no, warp gods. Absolutely. It's going to move on. <laughs> so so there are a number, because I've had these various arguments. First off, they're different people's stories of events. And they, so they can vary wildly anyway. Secondly, you have events being told to you in this case by Erebus in the warp, who we know now is a puppet of the warp exactly so everything that he ever tells you can you believe it and later on that other book is even more so because it's it, the source is even less reliable <laughs> that one's actually warp gods telling yeah t- telling someone what's going on so yeah. so every every time um, i've seen people say yeah but it's written in that book it's like don't don't believe everything you read you know, there yeah. are people, uh, there are there are there there are imperialists as well who who won't tell the whole truth to achieve their goal. So every time you're looking at something, particularly something uh, kind of that's slightly warp based, it's it, you've got to look at it 
within its context as a whole. Right. Um, and, and you can't always take them on face value. And there's weird things that are going on in this story. Um, every time Horace goes to one of these places, people can't see him, but they kind of interact with him. He actually blocks the way of a person to walk, and they can't get You won't let them go around him. And no, they don't look they, at him, but they say, please let me pass. And he asks some questions. All he just keeps saying is, please let me pass. It's like yeah. they, they can't notice him, but he's still there. I mean, he does grab a guy and snap his neck. When he's in here, none of the scientists seem to notice him. He gets into this room. He's looking in the tank, and the eyes see him. Yeah. And then... His, his own eyes see him, right. yeah. And while he's in here, and uh, Erebus is telling him all of this stuff about... The Emperor, uh, this warp hole opens above the tanks. Uh, custodes come running in, and they see Horus. Yes. When they tell him, you're not, what are you doing? And they start shooting at him. Yeah. And he gets, so this is, this is weird because the Custodes can actually see him when no one else can. Um, there's a fight, he starts killing them, and then, of course, the Emperor shows up. Yeah. So there's two ways of looking at this, I think. There's either... It's a tool being used to tell the story by Sejanus, you know, affecting Horace's dream to kind of go that these are your, this is your dad and these are your, the custodies and they're firing at you. Or if it is real, then they're seeing a spirit that isn't necessarily Horace kind of thing. So you've got all, you've got, well, I mean, they're, they're the two extremes kind of, it could right. be anything within that. So for whatever reason, Horace is being shot at by this custodies. Yeah. To and the point where weird he, yeah. just, he breaks and just kills them. Just knows that they're not going to stop. So he slaughters them all except for Constantine Valdor. Right. Tears, them, tears them a new one. Um in, in you know in, in absolute anger as well. Um and then the Emperor turns up and this is this is weird too. This is where I really get confused. I mean, it, it it does the typical description: the perfect gold armor. You can barely look at him. It's joy to look at him. He moved as though in slow motion, raising a hand to halt the madness of the vortex with a gesture. So he stops yeah. the warp thing from happening, which is starting to suck up the the the, the tanks with all the time marks in. Yeah, and he looks and I know you. As a question, I know yeah. you. As he as he's looking at Horus. And Horace says, yeah. yes, and he cocks his head one side, you would destroy my great works, but you'll not succeed. I beg you, turn from this path or all will be lost. Once again, how do you interpret the message? Absolutely, and I, I read this a couple of times when I was reading it, and it's, um, you know, if it was real, yeah, then... If the emperor did see him and talk to him and not maybe not even recognize him or whatever... Then said, it makes you? the fact... It makes the fact that then when the Emperor just allows it to happen a bit strange. It, well, and, but, it is he, but is he, is he, because Horace wants to stop, Horace doesn't want them to get sucked into the warp. I mean, he, no, you know, absolutely. and he says, you would destroy my great works, but you'll not succeed. I turn from this path or all this. So it's like, but. Was he even talking to Horace or was he talking to, you know. Was he even talking to Horace or did he think that he was, you know. It, it's weird because then he stops and he lets the tanks go. Because yeah, uh, the golden figure turned a puzzle gaze upon Horus, which he then says, 
I know you. Right. And then it says the giant cocked his head to one side and said, you would destroy my great works. So yeah, I mean, that, and that's even if it isn't just all a figment of Horace's imagination. Right. So, so if this really happens and this... All kinds of things to work it, out there. All sorts of meanings because he could even, if he recognizes him, not don't stop, you know, is he he's purposely letting the tanks go? Don't try and stop me getting the tanks out of here. Don't try and stop me by stealing them if he sees him as a demon. Or does he actually have some sort of recognition and telling him, don't stop this path, don't turn again? You know, uh, again, that be strong and stick with what you're yeah. supposed to do. Is he talking to him in the real time? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. There's, there's all sorts of levels that it could be anything. And then time snaps I, back. I, mean, I, yeah. okay, I, I don't believe it to be a kind of a true thing at all, personally. Because, you know, the golden giant was walking away, leaving the carnage in his wake, uncaring of the lives he had wrought. Exactly. Although the emperor is particularly uncaring in certain circumstances, that doesn't feel right to me. But it's not to say I'm right. But at this point, then Horace seeing all that, um, uh, the power of wind sees him with grip, and he let it take him, spinning him up into the air. And Horace opened his arms as he was uh, reunited once again with his brothers. He surrendered to its power and let it take him to his embrace, into its embrace. And that for me was the point where it's like, well, it's got him. Yeah, this that's I got confused. I didn't understand why he would, you know. So he went into the the warp with the with the twenty tubs. Is he real? I mean, he's already in the warp. So is he truly going in the warp, or is it that release? I mean, there's just, is it just symbolic that he's giving himself up to it? Is it? Yeah. yeah, and it could be. It could he that could be the point where he's kind of made his reading choice. that the second time round. It was like, well, he seems to have given himself to a certain extent right. into that. But no, my dad's my dad's doing things wrong. I have to stop him, and I, it's almost yeah. like like I have to stop him. Which comes at well, there we are. That's yeah. So uh, then this we is interesting. It, it cuts back to the the real the, world. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, Logan's back on the ship, and he's with Yachtin Cruz, the half herd. Yeah, and uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just a, a nice little bit of of. of dialogue between them um kind yeah. of and the yeah, old man giving his his wisdom down and of course um, Loken doesn't want to hear it and he's like you know yeah. i know why you guys call me this yeah you know, i'm not you know he, i know you think i'm stupid but i'm not stupid he may not be the brightest bulb in the batch but he's like but i'm not stupid i mean this isn't a fredo moment i'm not stupid i'm smart well but, yeah i think it's, it's more um it's more the old boy that everyone's yeah. just like oh, he's telling old stories again <laughs> right, they missed, he, yeah, they missed the good bits. Here he actually speaks up uh, about it a bit when, because through the first book and a half, they've mentioned how he's kind of yeah. a bore, but he never seems to catch on. Uh, but he does inform Loken that Varvarus wants retribution for the Mornival killings, and he feels bad about those. I mean, it does say he feels bad yeah. about it, but he's like, "You got to be kidding me! No, that's not going to happen." And then he tells him about the poetry that's going on. People are writing about it, and he knows exactly who did it. And he goes and finds... Straight to find him. Yeah. And he's pissed. He is. And yet, all through that, and he's um, he is pissed, and, he, and the anger's in there. And he's yelling until, at him, but he stands and says, you told me to do this. I never, yeah. you know, do you want me to keep like telling that. the truth or not? You know, and it comes back to this. It's very interesting how the, his human side, his humanity... Yeah, well, it's, it's, it, it's the test of Loken's um, moral standing. 
Yeah, once again. And, and, and his ethics. And it's like, and he kind of stands up to it in, in the end. He stands up to the test. Yeah. He totally does. And yeah, he's, he's like, right, I'm not going to stop you writing. I'm, not, I'm, yeah, I should send you away. I should just get rid of you. You should be back in terror. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, you're now going to have to be, I'm going to have to keep an eye on you. Yeah, he's uh, still under his protection, but he's like, now yeah. you're actually in danger. Now you, you need my I, protection. You think I'll need protection? Definitely. Yeah. You know, he yeah. knows that he's, he's making a, um, an enemy of a lot of people. Exactly. Um, then we get uh, Euphrates Keeler finally gets to Cinderman. Yes. And this is fantastic because she's certain that he wants to see her because her friends have told him about this and he's going to talk her out of it. Yeah. And that's not why he wants to talk to her at all because no, he can't not. he can't find the answers in the logic that he's been looking for for months. And so he might as well hear her arguments. You know, I might as well look at everything. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he actually brings up an interesting point is that as he's going through all of his histories, he keeps finding inferences to an emperor-like character or being that comes through all the different books. Yeah, uh, the thousands of years of history. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then he pulls out the book of Lorgar. Yes. How the hell did he get one of those in his library? I mean, did I mean um, it was Horus. It was I said it was given to Horus, I think. Okay. I do believe it was something like that. And then it was uh, up in the regular library then. Because, I mean, and why would Lorgar... I mean, it just seems weird that he If would... it is, it may be a copy given to the Warmaster by Lorgar himself. Okay. I, oh, okay. Uh, but it just seems... I'm, why is he... I mean, isn't this his book full of just basically heresy? Um... I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just, it seems weird that it's there. I'm not, and maybe I'm just missing something. There's a great, guys, if anybody. You know what librarians listen, are like. Exactly. It's a book. But, but, but Lorgar gave it to Horace. Here, Horace. Here's this. I mean, I, unless he was hoping that maybe he starts to read it and they can start corrupting him easily. But that doesn't even seem like, because the book almost seems like a trap. Yeah. Um,. But let's not even get into that right now because it just seemed weird to me that he managed to get a copy of the of the Book of Horus. But uh, I mean, maybe Lorgas planted it there for for the very reasons of yeah, it could be. Uh, but it, she is happy when Cinderman tells her that if we can prove the existence of God, I promise you, the iterators will shout that shout the truth from yeah. the highest towers. We care about the truth. If that's if, it, he's getting back to that truth. Yeah. I don't care, you know. I, I I don't care if it's the imperial truth. I care about the truth at this point because yeah. the imperial truth isn't holding up. No. Um. And Keeler recognizes the language of the Book of Lorgar. This was great. I actually thought it was the pictures on the Serpent Lodge were going to be the thing that 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 yeah. tipped him off, but it wasn't. It's her pictures of Erebus's head and all the writing. That yes. you know is there, so she brings him back a picture, and he's got that as a key now. And yeah, so to, to uh, unlock the to unlock the code of the book. Yeah. Um. So while they're doing that, Horus wakes up again, and he's on Chthonia. and the wolves are there, and it turns right into Magnus, and here is where the final part plays out. 
And I think this is the part where it, it, ha- it is the least satisfying. And I think this is the part that everybody remembers the most as this sudden choice. But uh, basically, he turns into Magnus. Sejanus says it's not Magnus. He's a monster pretending to be Magnus. Magnus is like, this isn't Sejanus either, and reaches over and just rips off the mask, and it's Erebus. And Horus is like, uh, so what's up with this? And he's like, well, yeah, okay, I was hiding because I just, I, you know, I wanted to, you to be comfortable with someone you liked, but what I told you is true. And Magnus is pissed. Magnus is just like, don't even. Magnus starts throwing fireballs at him. Um, you know, it's this really great scene where he's like, and, and, and Erebus actually gets cocky. You can't hurt me. I don't know what you're thinking about. But uh, he knows what's going on. Yeah, you're too far away to do this. There's a, a great, where is it? It's, well, it's, uh, this is just the setup for the scene later, isn't it? Oh, you're right. It is just a setup. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun there. It, that's just the setup. And, and we go back to the library with um, Kiva's brought those fo- those pictures back. Um, and Cinderman starts to uh, to decode the book. Um, so Keela goes off for a little wonder while it's happening, just to not be bored. Yeah, he tells her it's um, going to take about an hour, and she's like, oh, I can read books. Yeah. And she's going through the library going, no, I don't want to read any of this. And she picks up, ends up picking up um, the Book of Atom, which is where Loken read that that quote from right earlier. Um, and then something and, really weird happens here. Yes. The words start to reform and into the words that Cinderman is mumbling to himself. Which makes no sense to me. I must have missed something. But it's, mag- it's magic. It, oh, okay, is that what it is? It's just, it's just rewording oh, yeah. everything yeah. around um, it to match? Essentially, so, so Cinderman's reading his book and he gets caught into the trap of reading this and, like and can't stop dead. himself. Don't read yeah. the Necronomicon. Absolutely. Don't, and so, yeah, he starts reading and can't and so stop. He, no, and he, he's creating this portal for summoning... Um, what turns out to be a horror. Uh, but this other book is just either attuned magically or, or is just affected by that. Uh, yeah, and this is really the- cool because it's like a little warp gate starts to open. He looks scared. She actually punches him in the face to get him to stop, to stop reading. talking, yeah. And like one pink horror flops through and she starts to run. And then and, yeah, they get stuck and she, a fireball comes at her and she puts her arms up knowing it won't do any good and then nothing happens to her. Well, no, 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 that doesn't happen yet because this is um, the uh, the astropath. Yeah, the astropath comes in, but she puts her arms up like just like, like oh right, right at the end, yeah, and waiting for the flame and the heat, and yes. nothing happens. Amazing, yeah, yeah, and she shows up and saves her from one of these warp flame attacks. Um, and then, and yeah, as it jumps straight back into Magnus again. Now, this is where you know there's a lot of jumping around, but it it does quite right. well to build the tension. Um, we get the real the face down of Erebus and Magnus, um, where Erebus is saying, yeah, "You know, he can't be trusted," and Magnus is like, "Yeah, no, he can't be trusted," and Horus is like, "Yeah, you both can't be trusted." Um, well, here's what's great. I, I actually marked part of this too because it's the same thing. Don't leave. Well, he would. Te- and Horus actually says, "You told me it was a monster, and now you're calling him Magnus. So were you lying to me then?" Yeah. And so he gets it all. You know. Um, but what does it say here? Uh, Horus watched as Magnus hurled bolt after bolt of lightning from his fingertips, amazed and horrified to see his brother employing such powers. 
Though all the legions had once had li- uh, librarius divisions that trained warriors to tap into the power of the warp, they'd been disbanded after the emperor's decree at the Council of Nikia. Clearly, Magnus had paid that order no mind, and such conceit staggered Horus. And I yeah. just thought that was funny. That you know, Horus, hello, pot. This is the kettle. You're black. I yeah. can't believe he's going to just go do whatever he feels like doing. You know, after Dad told him not to. This is where Horace starts yelling that he knows that this is all, that I'm not stupid, I knew this wasn't Sejanus, I knew that all of this is meaningless, which is really weird, because even if he chose that moment, you know, it's, he's, he's, he's yelling a lot and saying, I know it doesn't mean anything, but obviously some of it's getting to him. Yeah. And then Horace relished their confusion. Yes. He's back on top again. Um, I think also um, you know, there's one. There was one bit in here for me, which was uh, was it when he said that Lorgar, uh, I came at the behest of my Lord and Master Lorgar, and Lorgar's one of the closest brothers to to the Warmaster, and here and it moves on to Lorgar, the most beloved brother, had already embraced the power of the warp. War and emotion vie for supremacy within disappointment, anger, and if he was honest, a spark of jealousy that Lorgar should have been chosen first. If wise Lorgar would choose such powers as patrons, was there not some merit in that? Yeah, I, that was uh, another passage that I had marked. Oh, once again, yeah, they picked him first? Yeah, and that's Horace making his own mind up over that. Right. R- really. Um, again, that's funny. None of these things really pitched him, and as much as it bothered him, wait, Lorgar already went? Yeah, he is smart. He is probably one of the smartest ones among us. And I think, um, I think as well, we sometimes look at the the choice as being good and evil, um, you know, and and for the warp and for the emperor. And I think there's possibly part of this where Horus was like, uh, well, for Horus, yeah. You know, um, it's easy to forget about that. He takes all these little bits in and was like, well, I could have this power and I could do that and I could run things better. So there's a lot of build-up in that. And although, unfortunately, you know, you get to the end of that stage and it's uh, enough, I have made my decision. Um, yeah. After telling everyone to shut up and everything else, it yeah. just it felt a little bit, and there, well, see, there's a yeah. weird, and the, the, the arguments at this point just get desperate. Magnus is yeah, begging oh, yeah. him to listen. I mean, Erebus comes out. I mean, literally says, "Deliver the emperor to the gods of the warp, and unlimited power can be yours." That's right. Um, I'm not sure that Horus was listening. To be honest, beyond that point, I think yeah, his mind had kind of been made up. The galaxy will be yours to rule over as the new master of mankind. Yeah, maybe he's not listening. But it just—it really does sort of. I mean, these guys are screaming, and it's—it's it's gotten to that point where they're just saying anything at this point. The, the time's up. He's got to make a choice. Everybody is screaming their final pitch at him. Yeah. So uh, we fly back to uh, Keeler and Cinnamon um, struggling against this horror, and they're running yeah. and. And trying to hold off this thing, and nothing can do it. It's burning through the doors, and, and she gets scared, and she screams, "Emperor, protect us!" And notices and hold that the up. thing cringes away from her when she when he says that. And she screams, "Yeah!" The flame washes over her, and she, then it jumps again into yeah. Loken, 
It's just leaving a lot of mini little cliffhangers. Yeah. Uh, this is actually the part where she holds up that golden, that, that, that Imperial Eagle, isn't it? Uh, yeah. She holds it up and it starts, it's not just reflecting the light from this creature Stop. and what it's doing. It's, it starts to get hot. Yeah, and she screams, the Emperor protects as the flames go. And she takes this thing down. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 getting it's getting cool. The descriptions of it come later, um, but yeah, yeah it, it jumps when she jumps again to Loken and Torgadon. Uh, nine days of rain and lightning and waiting, and that's basically all it is. It's just rain and like he even says he goes if if I believed you know, Loken was thinking if he believed in omens, this but would Loken, be. Loken here is trying to make up with his battle brothers. He's trying to you know mend those. You know, see see what happens. Yeah, little Horace actually is the one begging for peace. He's the least happy about yeah. his decision, yeah. I think. Abaddon has no questions about his decision, nor does Loken. And Torgaddon really doesn't seem to either. He has regrets about, yeah. I mean, about about the fact that things are going bad, but he doesn't regret his decision at all. Whereas yeah. I think that's the only difference between him and, and little Horace, is they both make the decision they feel they have to make. Uh... Little Horace is upset that he was put in a position where that was the decision he had to make. Whereas Torgadon's yes. like, hey, this sucks and this is bad, but I don't regret my decision. And um, and it jumps back to finishing off the um, Euphrates Keeler's holding out her totem, uh, the eagle. Yeah. And, and screaming... <laughs> Uh, uh, at the uh, at the horror in front of her, the horror melts away back into uh, warp with the help jelly. The astropath, yeah, yeah, and the metal of the eagle is fused to her skin at this point; It's burned into her skin. But we see the first. This is the first point where the faith in the emperor has become a weapon. That was really cool when I read that the first time. I really yeah. that was one of the parts of the book that I remembered and looked forward to reading again, just because she jumps over and says that, and this thing has no power, and it's like, oh wow. Okay. All right. That's kind of cool. Um, and then back there, and as the doors start to open, the rain stops. Yeah. The doors of the temple open, and Horus comes walking out, looking better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and now that's the end of part three. We're getting into part four, Crusades End. This is the last part of the book. Let's take a quick break and come wrap up the, wrap up the book. Welcome back. Part four. Yep, part four, which jumps into this. I mean, it, it does a weird time jump here. Chapter 18, it's ten months later. Yes. And uh, it's ten months later. And, it, and it's using that. The beginning of the part is giving us another another uh, frame for the little flashback. Uh, yeah. Loken looks old. She actually yeah. says she's got to relook into this whole Astartes being a mortal thing because he just he looks old, he looks tired, and they are fighting some Orishian technocracy. Yeah, um, they're just waiting for it. It's almost over. It's in ten months, and Angron's going to crack the citadel any time. And Loken's not happy with this war being fought. No, he actually tells her we shouldn't be fighting this, which kind of surprises her. Um, no, I mean what 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 happened is. We're moving on, so Horace has come out the out the uh, temple and just gone right. 
I'm putting this new governor in, even though he's begging not to be, just like Temba. He's begging not to be left behind. I'm putting him in, and we're shipping up, and we're not going where we said we were going to go. We're going to go to a brand new place. Yeah. And some people are going to meet us there. Yeah, he's got a, he gets a, he, he's like, okay. And everyone's I, like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> if you know, go to some place, Draconis 311, which is, uh, they find two, two inhabited planets with a shared moon. They got satellites. They got interplanetary crafts, all this stuff going on. And they're happy. It says the arrival of the crusade fleet has been greeted with understandable surprise and then joy as the planet's inhabitants realized their lonely existence was finally at an end. So it's like, they, they all, we knew you've been coming. They're happy that we're there. Yeah. Um, formal face-to-face contact was not established for three days, in which time the 203rd Expedition, under the command of Angron and the 12th Legion, the World Eaters, translated in system. The first shots were fired six hours later. And it's like, oh, boy. <laughs> He's just like, oh, God. I, mean, I remember going, oh, what happened now? So back into war, yeah, which... And, um, you know, we get a, a description of um, some of the war going on, uh, which which is good. But the the kind of the information from it is, you know, the guys they're fighting are wearing power armor. Yeah, they show and up. Got, and they look like Astartes, and yeah, and they've got um, you know elegant Thunderhawk variants. Uh, all their equipment is very similar. Yeah, uh, they've got a double lightning bolt on their chest, which sounds like the old Unity symbol. That, wasn't that the old lightning? What were what, what the old, the Thunder Warriors? The Thunder Warriors. Yeah, it was the old, uh, yeah, the, the the symbol that Emperor fought under, right? In the Unity Wars and, and that. So they know they share a common technology. Um, now the ambassador shows up, and they tell the well, story. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. You go back to uh, why we're we fighting this war. So we go back to the start of the war. Which was um, Horus landing on the planet where the ambassadors come out, and Horus standing there in full regalia with hundreds of legionaries behind him, um, wearing weapons this time when yeah. he meets a, a new race. And these guys come out and they look like Astartes, and everybody's kind of looking at each other like, what the heck? The ambassador says they have STC machines. Yeah. Which isn't that that standard template? Template construct. Construct machines. And as he says this, Horace pulls out a pistol, shoots him in the head, and then they kill everybody. Yeah. And Loken actually says, Horace, I don't know why, but he wants this war to happen. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's all over the STC. As soon as he says, ST, you know, Horace asks him, construct machines, STC machines? Um, and the answer is yes. And before he can say anything else, Horace starts a war. Yeah, Horace shoots him. You know, it's, it's, it's quite obvious what Horace wants here. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Torgaddon is called to a lodge meeting. Yeah, and he goes and he pulls a knife out and sticks it in Erebus's throat. I mean, he's he's pissed, yeah. very pissed. And he knows that something funny is going on, and he basically accuses him right there in front of everybody. Um, he's informed that Erebus has done nothing wrong. And I say he's informed because this is another one where the meeting seems set up for him. Yeah, like we've got to get him under there uh he's told listen we are killers and we are conquerors um that's what we are they know they don't have Loken, and they don't care no they, they basically inform him that there are people here who need to be stopped uh like this the, is this is the very first part where um they're looking at getting you know 
splitting the wheat from the chaff. They're getting rid of the the elements they don't want in their mists, and and they've already, they've pretty much said you know Logan will be dealt with. Yeah, uh, but they're but actually we've got, we've got these humans. We got these remembrances who are being a bit of a pain. They've got a copy of the Divinitatis. They got a copy a copy of the Truth is all we have. Um, they want to get rid of these guys. Um, and he wants them to come right out and say it, and they don't want to say it. They got They're going to have to kill the Ignace Carcass. He, he must be silenced. I, I want you to say what you mean by that. He's going to yeah. die. And he's like, "What are you nuts?" And he's like, and he actually says, "It's not murder when you kill your enemy." Said Abaddon. It's war. You want to make war on a poet? Laughed Torgaddon. <laughs> oh, they'll tell tales of that for centuries, Ezekiel. Can't you hear what you're saying? And he says he's under his protection. That's when he says we're going to get rid of him anyway. And then they got to get Varvaris out too. So they're saying all of this. Um, he says, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to deal with this." And that's when they also tell him he wants he wants someone, and we're going to give him Loken. And yep. he's like, "No, we're not giving him Loken. I, I see what you're doing. Yeah, they're, they're putting Loken up as the scapegoat for the massacres. Going to get him out of the way yeah. and get Loken out of the way." And he said, "No." And they go, "Listen, we all three of us. He won't accept it unless all three of us say it was Loken." Yeah. And he's like, "Well, too bad." And that's when they give him the ultimatum: "You're with us, or you're against us." That's Malaghurst who does that, and he's just like, "Yeah, yeah." He throws uh, his lodge coin on the ground and says, "I'm against you." Yeah, and it's, um, and and it's not. This is um, this kind of matter of fact as well. This lodge meeting. This is not. There's nothing. This is purely for kind of for the good of the legion. You get that feeling. It's not. There's no massive ulterior motive beyond these people are a pain and we don't want them around anymore. Oh no, yeah, yeah. these are people who these it's, are people who could turn people potentially against us. These are people for the, for the good of Horus for good, for the good of Legion yeah. we're going to get rid of them. One guy has the nerve to think that humans can actually hold us accountable. Yeah. We'll make an example of him. And this poet thinks he can go and and and, and you know Live under our protection and then question the way we protect him. He's going to go too. I like this scene as a as a as a counterbalance, as a juxtaposition to the scene with Little Horus, yes. where they tell him you're alone in this Little Horus. You're going to let you're going to you're going to be. We, it's all everyone has to agree, or it doesn't work. Are you going to be the guy who stands there and says, "Let the War Master die"? Yeah. And he goes, "But it's wrong." He goes, "What does it matter? Here, this this is wrong. What does it matter?" He goes, "Because it matters." And he actually stands up and says no. So it's a nice uh, juxtaposition with the first scene, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and he chooses against them. Uh, let's see. Then we get into chapter 19. And uh, it's funny. You get back to Petronella, who is trying to talk to some Astartes and get some, uh, basically some gap fill for some of the stuff she's heard from Horace. She can't put all of that into context. No. She's not been around them long enough. So she's like, well, if I can get some information from the Astartes, then I could, there, there's my middle ground where I can create the link. But they won't talk to her. They literally, whenever they find out who she is or if they know who she is, they, they anytime she goes to talk to them, they find some excuse to not speak to her. And she assumes it's because she's a woman. She's not part of their warrior club. Because as they're walking down the hall, they're, the Astartes are nodding at Magard. at Magard. And so she's like, oh, wait, they respect him. Because he's a, I get it. He's a warrior and a man and a killer, and I'm just a woman. Yeah, she's got no clue, and uh, so she basically sends him out to find things out for her. And I'm assuming that Magard tells somebody this, like almost instantly. 
I'm just assuming. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't seem like he'd be one to go in and try and trick any of these Astartes. I'm thinking he gave her up the first chance he got. Not because he's bad or he's evil, but because I think he's more loyal. You know what I'm saying? He's got his own code of honor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's not going to betray another warrior for her. He He does a lot, but I don't think that. Especially when they're accepting him. Exactly. Where she's she's using him. Yes, a hundred percent. And then we get one of my favorite scenes in the book. Another one of my favorite scenes in the book. Uh, Horace, the quick discussion with the adepts from the Mechanicum. You need those machines, don't you? Yeah, we really would love those machines. I mean, their power. I mean, this this is something that's just huge, right? I mean, isn't this what you're all looking for? Yes, it yeah. is. All right, you want this one? You'll just give it to us. Well. Yeah, but later I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna need you to. It's it's, it's the Godfather. It really is the Godfather. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna call on you, and you're gonna back me. What what my listen? Don't worry about what I need or why I need it. I'm saying you 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 told me this is worth anything. So yeah. is it worth you just promising your allegiance to me in whatever I need in what's coming up? Yeah. Just support me when the time comes. Right. And they're like, okay. They're they're in. I mean, you already know that Erebus has corrupted some of them, so this is not that huge of a step. He's no. pro- some of these guys are probably on the payroll. Oh, I guess well, you would some say. Of them, I mean, um, not all of the Mechanicum. I mean, they begrudgingly accepted the Emperor. Some of them. So a lot of them were looking for excuses to be able to, yeah, kind of study beyond that remit anyway. Exactly. But and Erebus has already corrupted some of them. But since he's also corrupted with the lodges, I'm wondering. I mean, this adept could be his, and I don't have anything text-wise to back it up other than he's already everywhere, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'll add to the paranoia of what's going on. Um, and it's great. Ten months and six days into the war, Fulgrim arrives, unannounced, yeah. and Absolutely. Horace is a little annoyed. Hey, I'm glad to see you, but what the hell are you doing? Uh, and then he starts off with, there's rumors of brutality. What's going on? How's Angron? Same as ever. That bad? Yeah. Uh, you know, I got him. I barely can keep him in check. Karn seems to help keeping him in check. And uh, there's that interesting thing where he's telling him that uh, Russ has been yeah, unleashed. That's yeah. He's got to bring Magnus to Terra. That's where Horace, Horace stops. And said, there's not a lot. Why? Why? What, why? What, what? What did he do? Why are we calling him back? Yeah. I mean, Magnus was with him in that temple when he made his choice. Holy crap! Why are we, he's already being called to Terra? This you know, and he and he never freaks out or anything. But it does. It's the one thing that they mention actually grabs his attention. Why? Yeah, because it, that yeah. could that could, could screw ruin up the time. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, but that does that little drop. Talk about another thing too subtle. Because later in the book, Horace actually says, "I talked to Russ." Yeah, I, th- I you know I uh, you could easily miss that. Yeah, because because late cause, and that I mean you know that that whole thing with I talked to Russ and you know Russ because they say he was supposed to take him back to Terra, and he yeah. works up Russ enough where Russ has no intention of bringing him back to Terra, and that that works. I got to make these two. I got to make him kill him. I got to make him go and try to kill him. I can't let him go back to Earth. Uh, and then you get the next the split up again. Fulgrim and Horace go to talk, and Adelon, the conceited guy from murder, 
if you remember yep. that in book one, and Aximand and Abaddon go with Horus and Fulgrim. Loken, Torgadon, Tar- Tarvitz, and Lucius are back. Yeah, Lucius with scars all over his face. So something yeah. major's obviously happened between murder and here. Yeah, he's got scars all over his face, and they actually say you shoot. And uh, so Torgadon starts shooting shots at him. Yeah, you want to fight L- Loken again? Yeah. He goes, it looks like uh, you might need some practice with what happened. You know, he's assuming you got these things in battle. Yes. And uh, he's and even Loken's like, come on. He's like, nah, you don't want to fight me. He's like, nah, come on, you want to fight me. So it's they, over in the blink of an eye. Yeah, he's outshined. Loken actually thinks there's not a there's not a Luna Wolf who could beat this guy. No. And that's, that's a really nice line. It's just any time Loken, but I'll win, don't you? Uh, the yeah. the reply. Just remember, there's someone out there who can beat you. Not this lifetime," said Lucius. Now, Lucius's character in 40k is called Lucius the Eternal. Basically, yeah. Basically, every if he's killed, he um, like takes over the guy who killed him. Oh yeah, yeah. So and it's just, just a nice little link in. Gray McNeil does that a lot through his books, um, and into his own series as well. But it's just <laughs> a nice little, especially when reading. I mean, you haven't even read one of the books later on where Lucius is doing some crazy stuff. And no, it just I haven't seen Lucius since book three. No, you will see. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there. Uh, another lodge meeting. Indeed, all the it's captains and they've every and, and Axman notices it's everyone but Loken, Torgadon, Yachtin, Cruz, and Tybalt Mar. Yeah, and I don't remember about much about Tybalt Mar, but I know Yachtin Cruz is the half-herd captain that nobody gives yeah. a crap about. Oh, yeah, Mar's one of the solid guys. Right, Loken and Torgadon have been, you know, obviously they've they're they've both made their choice and they're against them. But I notice it's captains and how they don't wear they're not even wearing robes at this point. These, no. th- this has become a different type of meet. This is a meeting altogether. This is almost like the new Mornival going yes. on here, um, except they don't necessarily have Horus's ear, but they're still you know planning and working. Um, it's funny because they're worried about Fulgrim. Fulgrim showed up and was pulling Horus's chain about. There's rumors, and I've been sent to find out what's going on. I got to go tell these people you're doing your job right. And uh, Abaddon thinks maybe that he's spying on him and stuff. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but Horace gets to come out and say, no, it's, it's all all right. <laughs> yeah, Horace shows up and they all freak out. Don't kneel down. Aren't we supposed to all be here as equals? And they're like, but yeah, but you don't show up here. I know, but you knew I knew about it. I've been uh, sitting back, but now it's time to not sit back. The The fruit of the labor of setting up these lodges finally comes together. Yeah. You know, Horus, Erebus has has Horus ready now. He's got the lodge ready for him. And it's funny, he shows up and he says that he'll deal with and he's brought you some new blood. And who's there? Tybalt Mar. He's turned yep. him. So now the only three you got left are Loken, Torgadon, and Cruz. Logan and Torgadon, who we already know, I mean, we've known they've been separated. And Yakton Cruz, who once again nobody seems to give any credit to. He also has Magard with him. Yeah, who's not it brings him into the in the starties. People, some people didn't like that. No, but uh, as Axman points out, after Horace goes, oh no, no, this isn't about. This is for starties. The actual only requirement is that you be a warrior. It's a warrior yeah. lodge, and it also seems to be a tool for for Horace. Yeah, which is like he'll be useful. Exactly. Yeah, he'll yeah because he's already got plans for him. Yeah, um, and he he starts hinting at what's going on. I want you to join me down a dangerous path. We're not all going to survive this. Oh, and by the way, we do got to silence both Carcassi and Varvarus. Yeah. 
Um, it's just, okay. So now it's all starting to come together. The book's getting really short on time here. And I'm just like, I'm reading it. Like, I'm, cause I'm trying to remember what exactly happened. Like, how far did this book go? Um, all right, yeah. Then, well, we uh, jump into, from I mean, from there, um, yeah, F- Fulgrim and that leave, and we jump back into the story of the actual uh, attack on the Citadel. Well, where but there is one, one little thing that I thought, in fact, I didn't even realize what this was until later. Um, as Fulgrim's leaving and they're all set up oh, yes. there to go, he recognizes a horribly familiar golden sword belted at Fulgrim's waist. It's golden. Yeah. Was it gold? I thought it was black in the. For some reason, when they were fighting, I thought the sword was black. When he had it, and he was fighting against Horus. But either way, he recognizes the sword. Maybe it was because he said golden, and I could have. I always pictured it in my head as black. That yeah. uh, that's why I didn't catch what it was. But uh, Fulgrim's got the anathema. Yes, and he's like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> okay, and then it, and then it cuts away from it. It's just like. Drops it and then goes dun, dun, away. Dun. Yeah. Um, we jump back into the um, the assault, which again is more great um, war bolt, bolt of porn. Yeah. Um, with Angron being described in the, all his raging glory, um, you know, the bloody one and all that, and his gladiatorial armor is absolutely brilliant. I really like, kind of, you know, they're even more astounded by his physical presence. Yeah. Yeah, he says, he's, yeah, it's going to be, he's already talking about how they're going to get in there soon. And that's when, um, he hasn't seen anybody. So that's when it says how he went to go to the apothecary to get the anathema. Uh, actually, before they go down. Yeah, they're talking about going down and how Angron will have it busted open soon. And he goes to get the anathema. And uh, it's gone. And the guy who picked it up was, who was it? Uh, the guy from uh, the Emperor's Children. Yeah, Fabius. And uh, yeah. he had a signed thing from the War Master to give it to him. Yeah, so there's complicity all the way around now. And Loken doesn't know how they even knew because he's like, I, I didn't tell anybody I had it. But somebody knew he had it. And uh, he's all upset and it's gone. He's like, this is just terrible. And while he's worrying about it, that's when he gets his orders. It comes in his, his yeah. headphones. And it's going to be the World Eaters with Angron and the uh, 10th and the 2nd. So, oh, wait. Angron, Torgaddon, and Loken, and the uh, Imperial Army led by yeah, Varvarus himself. Varvarus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, half the people that he wants to not be there. Horus wants to not be there. Yeah. And as. Um, a brilliant scene, actually, when Angron charges up with his hordes and hordes of, of assault marines, and um, they detonate a great mine under under the assault, yes. burying burying all the troops in tons and tons and tons of rubble. That's crazy. Wreckage of a whole mountain. They're packing a lot into these last few pages because yeah. you actually have uh, Loken and, and Torgaddon talking about before they're going down how it's weird that they got picked. Yeah. And how they're going to be fine, but none of them really act like they. They both are like, "Holy crap, this is where they're." They think this is where they're making their move. Yeah, they're sending us down there. This is everybody that they hate is going down together. So they start, you know, talking how oh, we'll we'll, we'll finish off this battle and have some wine. Then they see Angron and they go through like a two page description, and he is just scary looking. He's a oh, gladiator. Yeah, 
armor, they said. Yeah, he's from a gladiator, gladiatorial planet. Yeah, his armor looks more like gladiator armor. They're describing all of his aggression enhancers that are bolted into his head. There's an interesting thing about how that was done while he was a slave. Yes. And they can take him out, but he doesn't want them taken out, which I just found weird. I mean, I understand why he does it. It's, it's, I, yeah, I, I read that today, and I, without having the other book on me at the moment, I think there's some contradictory bits to that in that if they, I believe in the Horace Heresy um, Forge World book and at other points they talk about if they take them out, they'll kill him. Or they'll kill him by taking them out. But he wouldn't want them removed anyway because it is part of his heritage and his... Yeah. Angron's Angron's just mental. He is. Well, and this doesn't help him either with that stuff. No. You would think that if the Emperor could, he would be like, no, this has to come out. He might be a little bit more... There's lots more to come on Angron. Yeah. But later. so, yeah, they blow up this, and they're covered under tons of rubble. Uh, the Basically, these people, if if they lose it, they blow it up. They're yeah. not going to leave they're it. They're not going to give the, their toys to the enemy. And uh, they see that happen, and they lose their minds. They see Angron yeah. get crushed, and it's it's not Horus, but no. they, it's it's funny. Yes, they worship Horus. Yes, he's he's their dad. You know, in many ways that, uh, you know, that the Emperor is, is Horus's. But any of the Primarchs are so loved and looked up to that even Angron, who is scary as hell, he gets crushed and killed and they start to lose it. They really do. Yeah. Uh, they actually realize that, okay, we've won this battle, we've crushed them, and now we're just slaughtering them for the sake of we're pissed. And they, the right as Loken thinks that, Torgadon calls him over the box and says, we we got to stop this now. It just pulls him back from the brink. Yeah. Uh, and they just basically, they don't, there's no honor in this. They're upset about it. And of course, as, as they're about comes, to, as, uh, yeah, as Vavros comes up um, and as they're about to take, accept the surrender, Vavros is there and Logan and Torgadon. And he's looking uh, at all the people they killed though. And he's looking at them and they're like, oh, oh yeah, crap. He's, yeah. They're like, again, He's not yeah. going to look kindly on what we're, you know, because they've obviously lost it. It's just weird, this viciousness of battle that no one's willing to accept. And now that yeah. they're forcing humans on these space marines, humans are looking at this thing. This isn't, this is scary. And the space marines are like, screw you, it's who we are. It's just this This constantly keeps coming up. Uh, I do like the gutsiness with which the, uh, the other people surrender. Yeah. They've got yeah, this yeah, little prepared yeah, statement, which is kind of like a little F you to the... Yeah. You know, we you know we fought for freedom and not for anything else, and you guys are jerks. And we, spoken like a tyrant and a killer. Yeah, yeah. Even in the, however, the greatest of our warriors cannot stand before your the savagery of your war, and rather than see our culture exterminated, we surrender this citadel and our worlds to you. May you rule in peace more kindly than you make war. It's just like this is the most smarmy, snarky. <laughs> A holy sort of surrender I've ever read. Like no, it's quite good, isn't it? It is. It's really good, you know. And he, uh, you know, it's they're lucky that it was Loken standing there because Abaddon yeah. would have killed him just Abaddon for reading it. Him, yeah, definitely. Um, well, and then and then the the mountain moves that had fallen down. The whole mountain, the the, the part that fell down is moving again. Yeah. And Loken actually thinks there's more detonators under there that they're, yeah, they're getting ready for a, a sucker punch, and it's not. It's Angron. <laughs> he's he just yeah. up and out. He's pissed. 
He's even more pissed than everyone else was. And he screams blood for Horace, which is fantastic. Yes. Because whether or not he's been turned, whether or not he's... Whether or not Horace has worked on him, the fact that he is screaming out the corn, the corn call, but not calling it for corn. of it. Yeah, he's giving that to Horace. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. And then they just... I mean, they, they kill everybody. And it's a real slaughter. But yeah. during that slaughter, uh, Vavaris ends up taking a bolt to the to the chest and dying. So, and he, I, Torgadin actually says that it, it's shameful. Yeah, this is this, their deaths were a shame to us all. The Brotherhood had been honorable foes, and the Sons of Horus had butchered them like cattle. Angron stood in the midst of the carnage, his glaive spraying the warriors nearest him with spatters of blood from the roaring chain blade. Um. The Sons of Horus cheered in praise for the World Leader's Primarch, but Loken felt soul-sick at that. That's just, ugh, that's so good. Yeah. And then you get the very last chapter. Um, yeah, which is a lot of tying up. There's a lot of little... Really fast. It's, I mean, it's it really is good. I, 13, I quite enjoy pages, it. 13 pages of, all right, this is what's happening now. Yeah, this have, is where we're leaving you. This they is have the, Horus giving a good face to Vivarius in, uh, for his funeral. Yes. Um yeah, a little eulogy. And that's over like a shot. I got to name somebody to watch over this planet now. And so we're going to let his company. So all of his people, too. Not only have we gotten rid of him, yeah. we've gotten rid of his people. We're leaving them here on this planet. Now they're out of the way. So that's that's problem number one dealt with. Carcassi uh, gets a knock on the door, and it's Magard, who can't speak, who holds out a little piece of paper. Made up of his own, Carcassi's own poems. Which is cool because uh, you don't find out exactly what it is later because he reads it. He actually pees himself. He's scared when he realizes what it is because yeah. he doesn't recognize the paper, but he recognizes his words. And later on, when he winds up dead because Magard kills him, he wrote a suicide note. Uh, basically, Magard, uh, th- he took Carcassi's poetry, cut up the words off the paper and pasted them like one of these weird, uh, you know, Kidnapping letters, yeah. Yeah, a kidnapping letter. Oh, yeah. But he used Carcassi's words to write Carcassi's own suicide note. And we don't know that it's a suicide note when he reads it. We just He reads it and says that he realizes what it means, and they kill him. And later you find out, because it's just like, it would be just like him to leave a suicide note made up of his own poetry. Absolutely. So I was just like, oh, that was kind of brilliant. And, of course, who planned that? Horace is the one who had the plan. Yeah. Uh, and then Horace seems to give... Um, Petronella, the the kind of respect to to be there to do it himself. Yeah, he shows up and he says, "Listen," as well you- as was, as well as I think to make sure that he knew that nothing had gone any further, so he right. knew that he was stopping it at source. Can I see your writing? It's all here. It's just yeah. the first. I mean, he, she basically says, "I mean, she does everything except to say, but this is my only copy, and I have no other copies, and I haven't let anybody else read it." I mean, that's almost yeah. <laughs> it's almost the extent to which to which. Uh, he doesn't want the wrong. He doesn't want any hint getting out early. Yeah, and once again, you get her whole. Go- he started. No one's going to read this. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And she's that. like, but no, I don't. Yeah, yeah, you do. And she's like, how dare? And she's like, you're trying to scare me. I am of the house of this, and I demand. Her. She still falls back on that rich girl. You can't yeah. do this to me. And so you're a long way from home. And he snaps her neck like a chicken. And then. Kilo is um, 
in, in a, a coma, sort of coma, kinda. Uh, no one can figure out how he's in it, but yeah, she's watching with, uh, over Mercedes her. Yeah, with Mercedes and and Cinderman kind of in looking after her, as, and and right at the end of that little section, um, Titus Kassar from the Moderate Primus of the Deus Era comes to see the saint. I've come to see the saint. So it's moved from you know from this small small but group. She of, believed it. She performed a miracle, didn't she? And she performed a miracle. So now she must she's be a saint. saint. She believed so much. Her faith in the emperor was so strong that her faith became a weapon against a, uh, a, 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 a servant of evil. But no one's, no one's proclaimed that in, in a weird way. They haven't proclaimed that themselves. People have just heard the story and gone, oh, she must be a saint. Well, but she's also been one of these people who came to the faith first, <laughs> and she's one of their most... Absolutely. But, but it, I mean, she's almost like a, well, almost like a John the Baptist type, you know, where she's yeah, proclaiming the coming. But it didn't come from her, and it didn't no. come from that. It came from within the believers themselves, which is it's kind of natural. Happened in the natural way of the faith taking, you know, which really is, cementing. You know, that's kind of in, that's kind of an interesting. Another interesting juxtaposition where the humans are they're worshiping the emperor, and you start to see this weird twisted version of people worshiping, starting to worship Horus and worship the dark gods. Yeah, and how theirs is not coming from a natural belief system. Theirs is coming from years and years of manipulation, and twisting and planning to to to, to wreck it. It's I just I'm, I'm you know I mean I don't know if that's planned, but it's sort of as we're discussing it, I'm kind of thinking these things. Oh yeah, there's definitely I mean even in old history, there's, there's definitely reflections across the two. Right, absolutely. Yeah, they've always been there. Um. Oh, and you also find out uh, Torgadon has a little bag of shell case bits uh, that they took out of the virus. Uh, he took a dead square shot from an Astartes bolter round in the chest. Yeah, it wasn't, Yeah, it wasn't from the enemy. And uh, Logan's like, you think it was an accident? He goes, no, he got shot dead square in the chest. Somebody assassinated this guy. Yes. So, um, this last passage is, or not last passage before we get to the very last bit. Um, but this is great, where they're just talking back and forth, and uh, <laughs> what are we becoming? I don't recognize our legion. When did it change? The moment we encountered the technocracy? No, I think it was on Davin. Nothing's been the same since then. Something happened to the Sons of Horus. Something dark and evil. You realize what you're saying? I do. I'm saying we have to uphold the truth, no matter what evil may assail it. The more of all evil has gotten its way into our legion, Tarek, and it's up to us to cut it out. Are you with me? Always. And it's like... The two warriors against yeah. the legion. And they, but they're, they're going to hold up. And then you get the last cut. This is really good. It's yeah. creepy. The, you know, the, the war master sanctum, it's, got, you know, it's dark. You got the glow of bridge instruments or the only thing that's lighting the room. It's like he's sitting in the dark, but the electronic equipment... And all the yep. lit up numbers and digits are the only light in the room. And, and he's got all his most important people there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Who is there? We got Little Horus, Abaddon. Malagus, um, Regulus, Erebus, mm-hmm. um, Princess Turnip. Turnip. So that's the guy who that's the guy who runs the... the, the, uh, the he's the primary. Yeah. yeah. Of the and various other hand-picked... Army commanders and things. Yeah. And he... Here's where he tells them. I mean, it's, it's great. It ends with him spilling the beans. I'm going to topple the emperor from his throne on terror and take his place as master of mankind. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's, he knows that they're all with him. 
He gave them a um, few minutes to sit and soak in what he just said. Be not yeah. afraid. You're amongst friends. And, uh, yeah, this is the first time I put you all together. You'll be my counsel. And, honestly, if he brought you there, would you have had the power to say no is what I well, keep asking I mean, myself. Well, yeah, and, and you know, he puts across a good point. You know, um, if he thinks I will stand by while he abandons his realm in the quest for godhood and leaves us amid the destruction of his rampant ambition, you know, he carries on to tell the story to people who are half sold on it anyway. Right, and that's, yeah, I guess that is part of it, is these people, I mean, like I said before, uh, Abaddon was pretty much predisposed to going with him, as is as are any of the human people who have been called in from the army, because you just... It's Horace. You can't say no to him. No. And uh, <laughs> uh, people accuse him of treating We are right. The emperor is wrong. You know, it's just like that. Yeah. Uh, I love he's not going to do this and leave us amid the destruction of his rampant ambition. Yeah. Is, is this another pot kettle thing? Because I love this that he doesn't realize. Yeah. I mean, he told these guys before, listen, we're going to do something. And some of you aren't coming back. Like, not there may be casualties in this. There's going to be casualties in this. Some of you aren't coming back. I'm right. He's wrong. And we're not going to leave this galaxy in the wake of his ambition and all all the damage it does. Oh, yeah. You're completely blind to the hypocrisy of the statement. <laughs> exactly. It's just great. Um, we get a real outline of his plan. So, as he said earlier, um, calm yourself, Mal. I've already contacted, uh, contacted my brother, Russ, and illuminated him with the full breadth of Magnus's treachery, use of demonic spells and conjurations. He was suitably angry, and I believe I've convinced him that to return Magnus to Terra will be a waste of time and effort. So Russ is going to kill Magnus, given the chance. Yeah, and then Magnus a little while might... down, we talk about the other Primarch. So you know, we are not without our allies. Fulgrim is with us. Uh, he goes now to win Ferris Manus of the Iron Hands over. Yep. Lorgar's with us. Um, and Erebus points out that still leaves many others. It does, but we've got the chaplain edict. We're going to send people out to chat, and we're going to set up lodges he, in all the other legions. He sets up a foreign exchange program almost. He sets yep. up, okay, listen, in order to promote some more understanding and unity between the legions, we're going to have representatives from all the different legions, kind of you know, a few from here and there, sort of just meeting up and hanging out with you other legions. It's not like they haven't done it before, but now he's setting it up as a plan. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, that just, and the lodges. And they're uh, still like, yeah, uh, that's, there's, you still haven't listed all the, you, you realize that's, that's only half. Yeah, absolutely. And he moves on to, right, the Ultramarines will, will, will muster at Kath and be, and be attacked by the word bearers. Um, and the blood angels have been sent to the Cygnus cluster. Uh, where he shall be, uh, Sanguinius shall be mired in blood. It's a great book, that is. Yeah. Um, and that still leaves other legions, I know, but we have a trap. <laughs> yeah, and where will you set this trap? Yeah, the Isfances. <laughs> yeah, and there it ends. And much better, like I said, than I think we gave. I gave it credit for in the beginning. Yeah, I'm... I must admit, I remember when, oh, it must have been about 12 or 13 of the books were out, and I was talking to someone in GW store, and they said, um, who, you know, what books can you recommend or something? And I must have pointed out five books, and four of them were Gray McNeil novels. <laughs> um, just without me actually realizing that this was before I was really kind of overly into it all. 
Um, I just picked out a few Warhammer ones and a few 40k ones. And I, I think all those things, he really paints the picture really well of all the details that come in. And He does that really well because Outcast Dead, I really have a feel for where they are and how things work and the structures yes. and the, the internal workings. He doesn't just leave it as a, uh, a faceless machine. No. Um, you know what's going on with him. You know all the people it takes to run stuff. When he's doing yeah, no, things, I really like that. Yeah, it's good. So, wow, this. Uh, I guess we should wrap up. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was fantastic. Um, I hope people aren't going to think these are too long because these are definitely. There's so much going on, and well, I don't know if every book is going to be this way. But damn, there's still so much going on. That's that's something we can ask for feedback wise. I mean, um, right. Potentially, we can look at that um, and what we do with it, but that's up to the people who who listen. Well, and it's, a, it's another thing that if people like detail but not length, we can we can break things up, and you, we can record once, and I could put them out. You know, instead of every six weeks, we do a full book. We could break it into half books and do them twice as often. I could put them out twice as often since we record the whole book in one sitting, even if it takes four hours, because we're crazy like that. But uh, yeah, folks, what do you? How do you like your book review? Would you like it uh, if it's long? Would you like it split into two smaller, more digestible parts, or would you like you just want to hear it? Because I'm easy, like Sunday morning. Yep. Um, and then what? Did you, again, yeah. What did you think of this? Uh, what did you think of the book? Do you think we missed <laughs> anything glaringly obvious? Um, please contact us. Uh, our Twitter accounts are after Ulano. Um, and my personal one is at Child of Fang. I'm at Garage Hammer. Uh, we have the Facebook um, uh, page. Come and like us there. Well, you got a bunch um, of likes already. I mean, it's kind of. Yeah, that's just because I added loads of people. They didn't have a choice. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we, we, we are picking up some people on that slowly. It is um, kind of cool to see. And people are joining the forums. And they say in their little introduction, folk, by the way, folks, if you want to join the forums and get in on a discussion, uh, we have a whole ultra, uh, After Ulanor section on the Garage Hammer forums, uh, garagehammer.net. Um, just a reminder, when you sign up, it will say you have to post first in the introduction section. Just kind of say hi and who you are. Uh, it's it's like one of our built-in spam filters. So just say hi, who you are. Um, you know, and if you're in the hobby and you want to talk about what you play or stuff like that outside of the books, we're welcome. You know, we... We're obviously a hobby-oriented hobby since we're doing book review club, so... Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, jump on that. It's all all inclusive. Um, iTunes reviews. I have had um, actually. I had an old school friend um, contact me on Facebook and said, "Are you the Greg Dan from that podcast?" Really? I was like, yeah, yeah. And he said, "I just found it on on iTunes. Just put in Horace Heresy." <laughs> oh, cool. Which is quite awesome. So, um, but the more kind of the more reviews and and decent re- um, reviews we get on that, yeah, you know, we show up in when people look for other stuff. We show up in their feeds. Exactly. So that's and good. If and, you do leave one and you feel like dropping us a line and telling us what you think of the show as well, uh, you know, we we'd love it. Plus, you know, some people. I mean, I there's 125 different little countries you can click on and put reviews on based on where your location is. So I don't always see all the reviews. So if you put one in outside of the England one, or the I mean the UK one or the United States one, let us know so we can go in and read it and and you know maybe even say thanks on the show or something like that. But 
because uh, I, I do sometimes when I'm bored at work go through and click all the different countries and look to see if anyone's left us newer reviews. But it, there used to not be 100. I think there's 125 different buttons. Now. Excellent. It's crazy. So, okay. Well, so let's just one final bit. And I said it at, right at the start of the, the first right. part of the podcast. Um, I will be going to the, or I will have been to the Horus Heresy weekend by the time this one probably airs. And I will have picked up something nice Horus Heresy wise, whether that be a model or a book. I don't know yet because I'm not there. Um, I will give it away as a prize. Oh, wow. Well, Greg, um, great show, long show again. <laughs> Indeed. But, you know, the better written they are, actually, I think the the more stuff there is to chit-chat about. And I didn't expect this one to go this long, but I think because this is one that gets so much criticism, we actually, as we went back and really looked at it, kind of found, at least to my satisfaction, some answers. Or at least yeah. some explanations. I kind of wanted to get my view across on a few bits of that for certain. Yeah. So, all right, folks. Uh, back in uh, back in six weeks or so with uh, Galaxy in Flames. So, read and <laughs> and, and be ready. And uh, come on the forums and remember, no spoilers, folks. Other than that, we're golden and. Uh, once again, depending on which side of the debate you fall on, uh, we will leave you with either Death to the Force Emperor or The Emperor Protects. <laughs>